This week on Geek Explained, with the impending crisis reintroducing us to Brandon Routh as a certain spit-curled Kryptonian from a dystopian future, we're taking a look at the original story that starred this world-weary hero. So join us for this month's Geek Explained Spotlight on DC Comics Kingdom Come. Welcome back to Geek Explained, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and this week's episode is all about Kingdom Come. It is the latest in our Geek Explained Spotlight series that we've been doing every single month, uh, just spotlighting a specific graphic novel or a specific comic story from the past. Uh, if you can tell, I am in a bit of a different space recording this week because I am in Arizona. I came back home for a little bit just to visit family and to um, get some stuff done. So uh, it also kind of plays into this week's episode because with the uh, just covering Kingdom Come, which is such an iconic and amazing storyline, I couldn't cover it alone. So uh, this week I have two very special guests who are going to be joining me for the main course of this podcast, and uh, I'm really excited about it, so look forward to that. We also have a very special weekly review as well as our comics countdown, but before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and gals, got some news for you this week. Not a lot of news, but uh, some news nonetheless. We, all, of course, have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. And uh, this week, no comics, no miscellaneous news. So we're diving into just the film and TV news this week. And uh, kicking us off with TV news, I think the big news of the week is Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus went live this week, so if you have that streaming service, you can now dive in and taken all of the content that they have to offer there, including uh, The Mandalorian, I know, has been getting a lot of, uh, just a lot of attention. Uh, they also have a huge backlog of Star Wars, Marvel, and Disney properties, so definitely check that out. On lesser TV news, uh, Titans has been officially renewed for a third season. Uh, I still haven't uh, dove into season two yet. I'm waiting for it all to come out so I can just binge all of it. Um, but I've been hearing like mixed things about season two, so I will let you know uh, what I think of it as soon as all of those episodes come out. Now, going into film news, two big pieces of film news, and they're both uh, trailers. We got the first trailer for Scoob, which is the new uh, animated slash uh, reboot of the Scooby-Doo franchise. Uh, looks interesting. I've been a big Scooby-Doo fan for a very long time, so it uh, should be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. They're playing kind of fast and loose with some of the voices, some of the um, characterizations, so we'll see exactly what they do. And then the other trailer that we got this week was the very first never... Uh, 
never-before-seen trailer of Sonic the Hedgehog. There was never another trailer before this. This is the only trailer that exists of that Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Of course, I'm kidding, but... Um, New trailer came out with the whole new design that they've been talking about after the huge backlash from that first trailer earlier this year. Uh, they went back into the lab, hard at work, redid that entire design, and uh, it looks great. I think it looks really, really good, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I think that everyone needs to go see this movie if for no other reason than to just give respect to the... I'm sure dozens of VFX creators who had to go back and work overtime, long hours to redo this design. So definitely go check that out. That does it for the film news. Uh, that does it for all of the news this week. Like I said, a really light week. But now we are going to transition into the main course, the entree, if you will, of the episode, which is the latest Geeksplain Spotlight on Kingdom Come. So, the Geeksplains Spotlight of this month is on Kingdom Come, written by Mark Wade with art by Alex Ross. Uh, just another in our series of Geeksplains Spotlights. If you haven't checked out the previous months, go check those out. Last month we did Batman White Knight. And uh, next month's a big one. Next month's a big one. I might reveal it by the end of this segment. I might not. You'll just have to listen through and see. But I am coming to you live from Tucson, Arizona. We're recording a special uh, Arizona edition of the Geeksplain Spotlight. And with me is two extra special guests, very good friends of mine, my brothers, Andrew Kincaid. Hello, folks. Welcome back. <laughs> and uh, Jacob Brown. Hey, how are you? So, did your chair break? No, it's just it's just old and creaky. Oh, it's a metal. Oh, it's a metal chair. It is a metal chair. This thing so, is older than I am. <laughs> so to give you context, uh, we are sitting in uh, Andrew's office in his much bigger apartment than mine, and um, he got us like all set up. Like we kind of threw this together like yesterday, like to get this recorded. But he's got us all set up. We're all sitting around uh, a couple different mics. And Andrew is sitting on what looks to be a metal lawn chair? Of Something some of the kind. Fine. Yeah. Something like that? Mm -hmm. So. This has gone through storms and hail <laughs> and rain, and it's still standing. And it's, the hurricane of 2018, I don't know how Arizona survived that. I know. Oh, we, that were, was tough. we were devastated. <laughs> well, never um, forget. Never, never forget. forget. <laughs> Always remember. So, the focus is Kingdom Come. Now, you guys have read Kingdom Come, right? Yes. 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 So, Kingdom Come, I actually, we have here in the recording space, the graphic novel, Kingdom Come, that, what? Oh, we're doing ASMR now? <laughs> yeah, flip, flip that again. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> there you go. That's the book. That is fantastic. For, for those who didn't know, and that was all of the pages. And that's the segment. Thank you for joining us for this Geek Spotlight. You know what's surprising? It's all, it, 
All of Kingdom Come is only for it issues, and looking at it now, it's surprisingly it's thick. Dense. Yeah, it's very, yeah, very it's dense. dense. 200 it's hefty. Like, this was one of the first graphic novels that I ever pages. owned. Mm, it is wow. a monster of a book. And it even, like, on top of the page count of the actual comics, if you if you have the original graphic novel, which I do, at the back there's, like, an addendum where it's got, like, character sketches that Alex Ross did, a couple different uh, treatments for the plot, like, the basic pitch behind it, character studies, like, it's got a lot. Alex's Ross, Alex's Ross's art is so on the so next level good. that it just makes you kind of question your own kind of artistic <laughs> skills in not just drawing, but everything. And it's always been so good. Like he, when this came yeah. out, he was a fledgling artist. This was before Alex Ross was Alex Ross. Mm. Yeah. We made, we made the discovery collectively before we went on air that this book came out in 1996. Which is still a loop. All of us. us. All of us were like, no, that's got to be like 2008, 2009. I I thought 2010. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, ah, it's so crazy. Because we'll definitely get into it, but with how topical the book is back when it first came out in 1996, it's almost more topical today. It's still relevant. It's it's crazy. It's crazy how it's come back. We're going to get into all of it here, so... Jacob has the book open right now, yeah. and he's, he's and flipping he, through it. And we're all, and I'm looking over his shoulder, seeing all the different designs of all the heroes in the back of these pages, and yeah. just the numbers that they've yeah. listed. And it is just insane. Alex Ross is a crazy man. Well, he did most of did all of these designs. That, and that's the thing is that some of them are old designs of pre-existing characters a that he took size, his yeah. take on. There are other t- other ones that he created himself mm-hmm. that are his own creation, design, and then yeah. of course designs and characters we already know and love yeah. so familiarly. It's 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 crazy. And Alex Ross, if you have any base knowledge of comic books, of superheroes or anything, you've seen Alex Ross's art. Whether you recognize it or not, you know Alex Ross's art. And he really took the lead here. Like I did a little bit of research on this book and he was actually the one who came up with the pitch for this story. It wasn't Mark Wade. He brought this pitch to Mark Wade to say, hey, let's make this story together. And for those of you who are unaware, if you haven't read the book, there are going to be heavy spoilers in this. So just be aware of that. Um, but with that being said, thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, context, you just brought me coffee. I'm very, very thankful for the coffee. Um, he really took these characters that we all know and love and varying versions of these characters and really elevated them to the level of scripture that he's using in the book. The book is very Bible-driven. The events of the book and everything that has to do with it comes uh, is kind of influenced by the book of Revelations from the Bible, and uh, Mark Wade will use different passages from that book to kind of bookend the every chapter. So, um, just real quick to get us kicked off, when do you do you remember when you first read this story? Oh, you want me to share? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I have a funny story I, that connects to you. So, I. Uh, I remember when I uh, I got the I got the hardcover of this. Uh, nice. I was given the hardcover of this from like a friend, and 
it was one of the times where I was trying to get back into comics, and they were like, hey, you would like this book. And I was like, okay. Because I just actually read Watchmen, I believe. Ooh. I think I just read Watchmen. Oh, okay. And it was like, if you like that, then you would love like, Kingdom Come. And I was like, is this anything like right. the same thing? And it's like, no, this is actually with the real character, like the real DC characters, but like in the future oh. after all these events and stuff. I'm like, why don't you try that? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll try this out. And I just really got sucked into this. That is an interesting jump from Watchmen to this book. Yeah. You see, that's something I've always said about this book, though, is it frustrates me nowadays that we're blending Watchmen and the DC comics together mm-hmm. when the most Watchmen story that you can do with the Justice League and the main stars of the DC universe is, is, yeah. is Kingdom Come. Right. Well, and I think it's really interesting, especially now that... Um, that's so funny that you jumped from Watchmen to this book because with Watchmen right now on HBO... At the same time, coming out as the reintroduction of Kingdom Come, yeah. Superman coming up next month, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, it almost feels like this book could be like the spiritual successor to that story because that original Watchmen book came out in 1986, I think. I believe 86. I think it was 86, yeah. and this came out 10 years later. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of it's telling essentially the same story. I've always thought that HBO could do a miniseries of oh, this, and it would be, be amazing. It would be Superman. Yeah. Yes, Brandon Routh is Superman. 100%. And Kevin Conroy is Batman. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it really makes a lot of sense. And Batman. So, Batman. I mean, I wanted Michael Keaton, but that was just me. <laughs> that would be amazing. I mean, Wouldn't that not be amazing? I mean, it would be either, super good. Either one would have been. I mean, like, especially now. Michael yeah. Keaton now looks exactly kind of like this this Batman. I think he looks more like Bruce Wayne from Batman Beyond now. I kind of keep no, spitting at it. Yeah. Like, looking at these pages, though, yeah. right now, Jacob's opened them right into the middle where we get to see Bruce. He looks like an old George Clooney, though. And I don't hate that. Does he? Let me see. Like, yeah, look, like, look at this it. one, especially right over there, he's got that kind of, like, that smile, that smirk. Yeah. 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 He's got that That's weird. And, like, Can't you just hear him going, I'll get drive through. No, that's Val Kilmer. That's Val Kilmer. That's right. That is Val Kilmer. He was uh, never leave the home without. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's even worse. Uh, I freeze. (laughs) I'm Batman. (laughs) (laughs) What? When did Batman and Robin come out? Nineteen ninety six. Seven. Seven. I was gonna say if if this came out the same year as Batman and Robin, I think it did. That would. That would be hilarious. I think it was 96, I swear. We're doing research right now, but... That would be actually very funny. Tell me your story. You said you had a funny anecdote about how you read Kingdom Come. So, uh, it was around 2014, I want to say. Real quick. The Batman and Robo came out in 97. 97! Okay, okay, nice. Called it. Uh, So, it was around 2014 when we were doing... I believe we were in Fiddler on the Roof, and it was the rehearsals for those. At some point, we got into the discussion how I didn't like two superheroes that Eric absolutely loves, and that was Who Captain America <laughs> and Superman. It was basically sacrilegious. I was ready to fight him with our uh, our our Jewish. Um, choreography going on around the same time. <laughs> they, they formed like for fight club years. circles, people you know, chanting tradition, and <laughs> <laughs> fighting in the dressing room. That's how I saw it happening. We, saw were, happening. we were in Russian hats. Yeah. It was it was a cold, cold year. <laughs> it was a cold war. Oh, that's ah, ah, you. 
Okay, so but so really and there was a discussion that we were having where you where you said I have so many comics from both of them. Mm-hmm. Can I give you some to read that will change your mind? Because you were so confident and just said these ones will change your mind. I always am. I always am. <laughs> Eric has this distinct ability of knowing what kind of stories are going to get you, and it's really unfair. It's my superpower. It really kind of is. <laughs> and you gave me and and I wasn't going to entertain Cap- Captain America at that time. Right. This this was pre the movie. This is well. This was the the first one to come out. I think this was before Civil War yeah. came out. Yeah, because Winter Soldier came out in twenty fourteen. Yeah. Yeah, and that was after Fiddler, if I'm getting my timeline correct. Yes. No, that's after Fiddler. Yeah. Because that was in the summertime. Yes. yes. And that's what sparked the interest for Captain America. Mm-hmm. But I was going to entertain Superman, mm-hmm. and you gave me three comics. Uh, one was Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. One was Birthright. Mm-hmm. I believe the other one was all uh, Superman All Star. All Star Superman. Yeah. Yep. Those are if you, dear listener, have not gotten into the Superman character and you want three books that will change your mind. Those three books will absolutely do it. And the order I just present them in is actually the ones that he presented to me in reverse. And you gave me All Star, then Birthright, That's and then you right. ended with Kingdom Come, which was the perfect one because the first two give you the character of Superman initially perfectly mm-hmm. and tell you exactly who this guy is. Mm-hmm. Not, not the Superman, but the man behind the cape. The man super. The man super. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> Sorry. But then Kingdom Come is like the perfect end to the, it's the perfect period to the sentence. Mm-hmm. Of, of who Superman is right. and what Superman in just adversity and hard times can be mm-hmm. and the symbol of hope he really should be right well and I think it's interesting when you take those three books and you take them all because two of those books are Superman at a very um, a very experienced place like he's been at the game for a long time all star mm-hmm. Superman and Kingdom Come both are near the end of Superman's career, where Birthright is essentially that is essentially uh, Superman Year One, and is way better than the actual Superman Year One that came out this year. <laughs> Wait, that actually did come out? Yes, it did. Oh Maybe. wow! I didn't even make me so mad. Oh, the man. first issue was okay. That art looked pretty good, though. I mean, it's John Romita Jr. It's really oh, yeah. yeah. It's really, like, yeah, yeah the yeah. only thing, though, is that he cannot draw children to save his life. No. <laughs> yeah. no basically, no, he <laughs> adult heads <laughs> and just <laughs> tiny bodies. It's like bobbleheaded. Yes. Like but, like, they have these huge expressions of eyes. And, like, they never seem to be on, no. off, off the right. It's like, like a little, little bit off. Like, oh, it's freaky sometimes. But, but do you again, John Romita. Do you know that artist with the big eyes? You know, back in the 70s. Do you know that artist in the 70s? 70s with the big eyes and everything like that that would draw like these big eyed children and everything like that. that there's oh, a yes. famous movie yeah, about it, this. Yeah, it's yeah, got yeah, um, yeah. Amy. What's her name? Amy Adams and, yes, uh, Amy Adams and Christoph it. Waltz. Yeah, yes. Tim Burton. Did he direct T- it? Yeah, he did. It's oh, a Tim Burton okay. movie. It's okay, okay. it's about this artist who uh, uh, was famous during the 70s for drawing all these children with these really big dopey eyes and everything oh, like that. It was just a huge trend. Uh, go see the movie for more details on the on the backstory of it. It's very fascinating. But um, 
you, I just have this image of just those big doughy eyed like kids, and then these skinny little bobbit bubble heads. <laughs> this is exactly what it is. He just he can't draw children to save his life. You can never tell how old they are. No. And there's like, there's a point in the book where it jumps from him being like a like in like a first or second grade into him being a teenager. He looks exactly the same. <laughs> he looks exactly the same. He's just wearing different clothes. <laughs> it's kind of the same too when he's in like the Navy SEAL uniform too. Like he's so, so he drew him so baby faced. Yeah. That it's just like wow. <laughs> but it's just it's so interesting to me just because like the first book had a lot of potential. There's a weird like Lana almost gets raped. Oh no, book. that's it's not because good. it's Frank Miller. All right. Because oh, that's right. Oh, Frank Miller. Oh, oh, I was Frank Frank about to give you a hard yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's right. Frank Miller Frank wrote this. Oh man. Frank and so, and really, you're just like that's so. Funny. And I don't know and, about that in my Smallville. And of course, Actually, though, not my Smallville. Not my Smallville. That doesn't happen in my Smallville. Of course, we all know how wonderful Frank Miller is at writing for women. So, yeah. Where can where could that go wrong? Of course. But so the first issue had a lot of promise, and it was like a modern day, like, okay, this is kind of how Superman would grow up in today's society. But then the, the second and third books just drop off so hard. And I, I remember, and if you have been listening to the podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I mentioned this. I was doing the solicits for, um, as part of my This Week's Comics Countdown, um, for the third of the Superman Year One books. And I got halfway through the synopsis and I just flipped out. <laughs> because halfway through the synopsis, it's basically talking about how he has to step into his role as Superman. He's meeting mm-hmm. Lex. He's meeting Lois for the first time as well as his first meeting with the Batman. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> he couldn't go one series without putting Batman in this goddamn book. Like, I was so angry. Who wrote that? I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. Okay, okay. But like, di- I was thinking of a different story. It was just Frank Miller couldn't help himself. Yeah, he just had to put Batman, <laughs> and it's and it's such a bad like a it's bad not like dark, version of him. It's not like, dark he's night. got a gun on his hip. Oh, and okay. it's like oh wow, it's bad. Why? It's bad. Wow, like what? What? Why is that needed? Yeah, like why is that needed? Yeah. Like that Questions defeats the Frank entire Miller. purpose. Well, we we know Frank Miller. Are you sure listens to this podcast? So oh, of course, we've got questions for you, Frank. Give oh, us no. a call, chat us up, we'll figure it out. This is a, this actually comes back to a question I was going to ask you. So, are your fans geeks? Or are they explainers? <laughs> like, if they were to have a title, <laughs> well, what would they be? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we've made it. We've made it. <laughs> Almost eighty-two episodes without someone trying to ask me about the title <laughs> of this podcast. It's not so much, I mean, I remember, I remember vividly when you first told me what your podcast title was going to be. We were walking down 4th Avenue. That's right, yeah. And But I'm just asking what your friends would be, because like, Logan Paul's got the Loganauts, or whatever, or crap that is. <laughs> is that what he calls it? I have no idea. <laughs> That was a shot in the dark. I bet you didn't think that this podcast was going to turn into a character study on Logan Paul, but here we are. <laughs> oh, man, we're getting to this. All right, it's, well. It's so, happening. Do you watch the fight? Do you watch the fight? <laughs> <laughs> no, so getting back on track. That's what this episode's going to be. Eric and I are big fight fans, so that, that's just, just, that just made me feel so good. This is, this is going to be 
one of the strangest episodes. <laughs> We're going to get off topic so much. Folks. So much. And I apologize. But so people are used to our normal geek explain spotlights. But how about that I, football? <laughs> don't pretend like you watch football. Are we, are we going to uh, bring that up too? Because uh, we could totally talk about that for Please 30 me. more minutes. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Yeah, I think we could try to squeeze that into your podcast. Your podcast is like, what, you, two and a half hours long? Sometimes, okay. Uh, I mean, depending on <laughs> like our, our last episode that we that Andrew and I did together for uh, for Long Halloween was about two hours. Yeah, well, I, was, I was proud. So of I can I can see this going just as long. But <laughs> so um, to answer your really personal and attacking question, attacking. Um, <laughs> I thought this was a safe space. It's a safe space. Uh, Tucson's a sanctuary city. It's uh, not. It's not. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. happening right now. Guess what? They did not. Hey, we got a new mayor. You got a new mayor. That is true. Victory for for Latina women around here. There you go. That is very, very So, getting back on topic. Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come. So, each of us read it at a different time in our lives. I remember reading it, I think I was 12, and it was a book that I was not prepared for. I just, I remember seeing Superman on the cover and being like, Superman book. I'm going to read this. (laughs) So you were 12, I was about 21, and you were... About 25? Okay. Okay. So that's, yeah, so that's two adult perspectives than to first kid's perspective. And to give you a little bit of background on me as well, this was the first book, this was the book that introduced me to Captain Marvel, also known as Shazam. So this was the very first time that I ever met that character. And I was just blown away by him. But I also meet him, because you, when you meet Billy Batson in this book, he's an adult. Yeah. And so yeah. you don't really get that idea of um, it's the kid that turns into adult. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon after reading this, I watched the Justice League episode Clash that oh, introduces yeah, Captain Marvel into the DCAU. That's a right? fun episode, too. And there are a lot of there's a lot of imagery in Clash that is ripped straight from this book. Yeah. And just for clarity, that is the episode in which Captain Marvel ends uh, Superman fight, mm-hmm. right? Okay. That's pretty much the only episode that Captain Marvel actually like, I, makes a real appearance. I yeah. thought so. I just wanted to make sure. Because he quits the league at the end of the at the end of the episode. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because he's like super offended that they wouldn't trust him, right, right, right. and he was basically like, "Yeah, I'm a kid," <laughs> but at the same time, you guys are acting like children, and yeah. I can't. Like, you guys don't trust people. You're sitting in your ivory tower judging the world which there's oh, a lot yeah, in this book circles back to it. Um, circles back to it and so he quits the league and I love that episode I love that episode it's so interesting seeing the two of them together because at this point Superman is very established mm-hmm. uh, Captain Marvel is fairly new and there's a moment early on in the episode where um, Superman and Batman are talking about him and Batman goes he was like I thought you were a boy scout <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, and it's it's so interesting seeing Superman almost be really cynical. Yeah. Like yeah, when yeah. it comes to this, because of course it's a very Lex Luthor heavy episode because he's right in the throes of his uh, presidential run, and Superman doesn't trust Luthor. That's of just not. a classic. 
Superman trope. Who, but, who would trust an evil mil- millionaire to be president? And I mean, come on. Yeah. Who, who would elect somebody like that? Yeah. Who would elect that? Thank who God elect- we don't live in those times, am I right? Yeah, am I right? <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just have a sign that says peanut gallery? Just so, <laughs> just so Eric can we'll just remember have- who we are. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, talking about Kingdom Come, Kingdom Come is Allergies. a book that takes place in an indeterminate amount of time in the future, but we'll say like 30, 40 years in the future. Yeah. Of 1996. Of 1996. We're coming up real quick. I mean, it does kind of have this feel, though, that like everyone, when the, where their comic came out, that's when they started. Right. It Absolutely. does. It does kind of feel like Superman's from the 40s. Right. Or that Batman's from, especially like in his state, it looks like. Oh yeah, Superman's an old dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really interesting how um, they introduce each one of them, each one of the Trinity, both Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, uh, in ways that you would you would kind of expect them to be introduced. Yeah. In in this book, so Superman, when we come to find him, he's been exiled, or he's gone on a self-imposed exile for ten years. And we find him, what we think is, on the Kent farm. He's doing mm-hmm. his, you know, chore duties. He's got a sick-looking ponytail. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. got this, like, yeah. bushy White. beard. Yeah. And he's walking around, like, with his ponytail and his beard and just overalls. He's I just lifted, wearing He's lifting that tractor. I just lifting a tractor, and he's doing farm mm-hmm. stuff. Sorry. I no, I just had two questions. First off, why does Superman need long hair? And second, why can't anyone get it right? Well, first off, to answer your first question, it was the 90s. It was the 90s. We were in the throes of Super Bullet. Yeah, oh, we were. Right. Yeah, we were hardcore. And second of all, oh, man, Super yeah. second of all, people just haven't found the right way to do it yet. That's fair. But it, there's time. It's, it's probably out there. We it's almost did when we got uh, when we were almost going to get Nicolas Cage and Super. We almost did. We you're almost right. got. We almost got that and, super mullet. Oh, I, I think I, I think I saw some picture of Henry Cavill with long hair, and like I was I was thinking when Justice League the movie was coming out, of, like if we get the super mullet, I'm not going to be mad. What Justice League? Oh, Justice League. oh wow! Oh wow! Ooh, that's you tough. know that that movie that Jason Momoa won't stop uh, pissing the fans off with. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I've heard of this movie. Uh, it's okay. Nobody, nobody, everyone's pretty much forgotten about it at this point. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> moving on. so we meet Superman, what we think is on the Kent farm, but then we find out when Diana shows up, and mm-hmm. she's in her full Wonder Woman regalia. Yep. She's just like, hey, she has a dad, and she hasn't aged either. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of like argue that maybe it's just because oh, she's made of clay. And all this stuff. Because it's kind of... It plays fast and loose with continuity. Uh, and which yeah. Earth this is supposed to be of. Because we see... Um, <clears throat> we see different characters. Like, we see the Alan Scott Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And that's Alan Scott of Earth 2. Mm-hmm. But the Flash, who we all kind of look at as Jake Garrick, research says it's actually Wally West. Yeah. The Flash oh. in this book is Wally West. Yeah, that. he took up the mantle, right? Crazy. With, Jay but with Jay Garrick's helmet. And yeah. Wally West was never on Earth 2. Yeah. So again, it kind of plays fast and loose. We do see uh, Power Girl mm-hmm. as well, um, in this, who is a distinctly Earth 2 character. But then there's a um, there's a panel that shows the Legion of Superheroes, and Supergirl is with them, along with Superboy, who are distinctly Earth 1 characters. Right. So it's kind of like a weird amalgamation of multiple Earths. Which I think kind of works, though. Right. It kind of feels like 
it's not so much a specific dimension or a specific earth, but it's mm -hmm. a blanket story that's almost right. going to happen to ooh, the, a section or a whole, whole part of the multiverse. Of the, of, yeah, absolutely. And there's like, there have been really um, interesting teases towards this being the actual future of the DC universe. Like in the mm -hmm. 90s, there was a, uh, there's a, there's an event called Our World at War. And after that event, Superman turned his uh, his symbol plaque, mm -hmm. similar to the S in this book. Yeah. And so there's like little teases here and there. Uh, they also they also introduced um, pretty soon after that uh, Plastic Man's son, who is in this book as well. Yeah. So there's like little bits and pieces, but of course that was before New Fifty Two and Rebirth and all that stuff. Right. So. We meet uh, Diana as someone who is kind of a harbinger. She's kind of trying to let Clark know that, hey, shit's really bad out out in the real world. And then we it's revealed to us that we're not on Kent Farm. We're mm -hmm. in the Fortress of Solitude. Which is a beautiful transition. A beautiful transition. And it's really interesting, and I didn't pick this up until my uh, most uh, recent reading of it, uh, when she comes and finds him, she says something along the lines of like, "I didn't expect you to be here," mm -hmm. or something like that. And yeah. he says, some, he says something along the lines of, "Like it's it's where I'm, it's where I come from, or it's where it's like my home." And it has a double meaning when you realize that he's actually in the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, that it's both like his family's home in this simulation on the farm, on the Kent farm, but also in the Fortress of Solitude. And it, really drives home the fact that he is so disconnected from the world. Alex Ross drew and made Wonder Woman look exactly like Lucy Lawless. Mm -hmm. And it's so right. Yeah. I, and I bring this up because, because she, yeah, no, but like, I, you should come over and see the page that uh, Jacob is on because she's literally staring at me. <laughs> and like, I just keep looking at those eyes, those bright blue eyes and just like, it's just Lucy Lawless. Yeah. That's all it is. Well, and Alex Ross famously takes a lot of, um, still uh, a lot of still, still photos, photos and yeah. uses yeah. them for reference for his art there's Again, even one really. back here in the in the back for when he mm -hmm. talks to uh, for Orion yeah actually, for the figure of Orion and pops up who becomes essentially dark side man yeah. this whole book is <laughs> so he's so basically showing a dystopian future essentially one of probably not the worst case scenario but a worse case scenario than we would all hope for it feels very realistic, and yeah. that has this sort of natural and progression the to of it. Time and yeah. all that stuff. And again, like this was the mid '90s, and for those of you who either don't remember or weren't born yet, everyone take a silent moment for the baby listeners. Zoomers, zoomers, don't you start? Um, uh, the '90s were the '90s were a weird time in comics. First off, DC had this whole hard on for let's kill our superheroes or break them in some fundamental way. That they did. This is when the death of Superman happened. Nightfall happened. Um, was Nightfall in the night? Night, Nightfall happened like a year after the death of Superman. Okay. I thought it was in the 80s. No. Oh, wow. So it happened. No, that, that happened. That suit makes sense. Especially, yeah. Suit suit I, got, I rethought about it. How she was a that, Yeah. But also, this, there's this big push in comics for anti-heroes in the 90s. Yeah. Very sharp-designed anti-heroes. And when it comes to Magog, who is one of the main characters in the book, um, Alex Ross, doing an interview, said that he took 
the inspiration for that character from two distinct Marvel characters at the time. Yeah. And basically, Mark Waid told Alex Ross, this character, I want you to design him in the ugliest, most 90s way possible. And so Alex Ross and said, okay, Cable. And so in this interview, he's basically saying, like, I took the arm, the scars, and whatever was going on with his eye with Cable, because to Alex Ross, Cable's design, especially in the 90s, was the ugliest character design he had ever seen. And he stated this. Yeah. And he said, but once I threw the helmet of Shatterstar on him, then he became my favorite design in the entire book. Yes. And when you look at him, yeah. when yeah. you look at Magog, and you also look at the two characters that are essentially, the com- he's the composite of, Shatterstar and Cable, it's very clear. It really yeah. is. I mean, Alex... Ross has a point. Mm-hmm. Well, especially when you think about Cable, where he comes from. He come, comes from the creators of not only some great comics, but the whole comics industry of Image Comics. Right. This was also during the 90s. The yeah. Big, the birth of Image, the big push by Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, those kind of creators. Did Vertigo come out around that time? But Vertigo had been around for a while before that, I think. Okay. Well, I know that... DC was trying to do more independent stuff. Right. And they were also trying to push their heroes into darker, darker yeah. places. Which this feels very much more like a Vertigo Absolute, production. Absolutely. And, that, and that's really kind of what birthed this kind of book, it being 1996, mm-hmm. is when this came out, which still blows my mind. And but, like, but the points to go back to when you were talking about Magog... That's his, that's how you say his name. Yeah. Magog, okay. Or Magog. Magog. Who knows? Yeah, I, I remember reading I've it. I've always called him Magog. That's, but that's it, could, it could be Magog. Yeah. I have no idea. Um, but you, you're absolutely right in that he does feel like a Rob Liefeld kind of character. Absolutely. Like he feels like some sort of character that, you know, he threw into a DC comics when he was, you know, drawing or writing yeah. it. Sure, yeah. Yeah, here's this. <laughs> then, then this guy comes right. out uh, with the goat horns and he's all Shut made of metal up. and like, dude, he's gonna have a giant gun he's and then... kill people. And... So what you come to find Radical. out is that... <laughs> Radical. Radical! Is that uh, ten years prior to the events of this book, um, there was already kind of a pushback against more quote-unquote old-school... Uh, heroes and what they were looking for were more um, permanent, uh, permanent solutions to the supervillain problem. Mm-hmm. And what really kicked off this whole thing was ten years prior to the events of this book. Was the Joker did a killing spree across Metropolis, which ended. Um, I just in, turned to that page right yeah, now. Yeah, which, <laughs> which ended at the Daily Planet, where he killed ninety-two men and one woman. <coughs> one woman, of course, they never say it, but it's heavily implied was Lois Lane. Uh, and, yeah. I, wow! I, in this, in, in yeah, the entire few right. years that I've come back to Kingdom Come, I just realized that Lois Lane does not Never make an appears. appearance in this book. And so, and wow, and we see that image of um, of the Joker, who's looking very Jack Nicholson like. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. like um, a bowling Jack Nicholson, right? Like, like, so Jack Nicholson. Just regular Jack. Also, <laughs> just regular Jack. <laughs> no, also, true. balding Joker is a fantastic idea. A fantastic like, it's idea. So, I love it. It's so great. But he's standing in the Daily Planet with, like, a trophy or a Pulitzer or something about yeah. to, like, crush the head of what looks like Perry White. So we can assume that the entirety of Superman's supporting cast, with Dr. Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, and Lois Lane, were all killed in this spree, which... Holy crap. Like, yeah. that's yeah. killing the entire supporting cast. So then, apparently, Magog, who was new on the scene, tore up 
Metropolis looking for him along with Superman, and he got to Joker first and killed him. So then following this... He says um, something of just, like, you and Batman wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. Something like that. Where it, he makes a point of sticking not only Superman, but Batman yeah. especially. Well, because he's... You know, the Joker's been yeah. Batman's problem for how many years? Six Absolutely. Years. And when, once you have that scene, it really makes sense why Superman left. Right, because why? after this, after killing the Joker, uh, Superman put Magog on trial, mm-hmm. but he was acquitted of all charges. Yep. And after that, Superman was basically like, I can't deal with this changing world anymore, I'm out. He's out. And when you really think about it, of just, you know, so many close friends had died, but also Jimmy Olsen, someone he could talk to and reveal his secret identity in a few different iterations. Right. And someone, his, his love. Yeah, and then the love of his life. Yeah. Like, that, the ultimate, uh, basically, comics couple mm-hmm. was just obliterated. So that kind of, like, devastating loss does kind of make sense. And why right. somebody would actually leave when when he realized, oh, the justice, system, the justice system doesn't work. Well, and we've seen in other media this kind of thing happen. Injustice famously mm-hmm. killed Lois Lane, and it, again, it was the Joker. Yeah. yeah. Brutal and way. In too. a brutal way. Yeah. And the way that Superman responded, hand through the chest. Yep. Killed him. Yep. This Superman doesn't do that. This, no. super, this Superman wouldn't do that. And, no. that. and he represents that ideological... Um, stalemate that he's always had with other heroes, especially mm-hmm. anti-heroes, where even at their worst, he would never kill a supervillain. It's actually kind of funny now that I think about it, how similar Kingdom Come, the first Injustice game, really kind of are. Mm-hmm. In that you have a Superman who was presented in two similar situations, but he responds completely wow, differently. Different, yeah. In that you see him go one way, and then you see him go the exact opposite way. Right. And you see the outcome of what goes on from those two positions mm-hmm. from not parallel but very very similar right. situations the quote of Magog as he's talking to Clark was and I was right I was a hero but you just wouldn't roll with it you had to get in the last shot and piss me off I wanted that torch passed I wanted to cement my claim as Metropolis's new, new number one I asked for a title about between you and me and I won by default when you flew off with your cape between your legs. Yeah, and that was the world's last image of Superman. And you see that Magog was really kind of the first shot in this changing of the guard, where we see a lot of the former heroes that we kind of all associate with DC Comics Mm -hmm. either retire or wildly shift their scope. Like Green Lantern, Alan Scott here, is basically living alone in this giant Justice League watchtower that he's made out of his ring. And he sits alone waiting for extraterrestrial Mm -hmm. threats that never come. He's just been sitting there up by himself for how many years? It also really is kind of funny how Magog's choice of words is Mm -hmm. also so 90s in that it feels like a pro wrestler kind of talking. Like a title fight of just like, yeah. what, what title? Like, what, there, there's no belt here. There's, right. there's nothing that you're actually, your ego is bruised. Yeah. And it's so funny to kind of see this distinction of just Superman's not doing this for the fame and the recognition. He's doing this because he has this responsibility. Mm-hmm. When Magog sees this as just, oh, I was supposed to be number one. And you were supposed to be there to make sure that yeah, I was number one. Pass the torch. Exactly. Stuff. And I think it's really interesting when we actually finally meet up with Batman. Mm -hmm. So we find out that 
along with everybody kind of doing their thing. Uh, Flash has completely just taken over, essentially, um, Keystone City, constantly moving, never stopping. Mm -hmm. Uh, So no one even knows, like, what he looks like anymore, and he's turned into this being of pure speed. Uh, But when it comes to Batman, he's turned Gotham into a police state. There are, you know, these bat robots, these bat mechs that are patrolling the streets and doling out justice. And when Superman goes to Wayne Manor, the manor's destroyed. Like, it is just, there's, it's in ruins. Mm-hmm. And when Superman comes down into the Batcave, we see that something bad happened there. And we find yeah. out that, you know, Bruce is in a back brace. So mm-hmm. some version of Nightfall definitely happened. And what he says when Superman asks him what happened, he's like, Bane and Two-Face happened uh-huh. when my identity was exposed. So the world knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman, mm-hmm. and then they came to the manor, roughed everything up, and that probably was the end of Batman's crime-fighting career as he had it. Right. And seeing this bitter, jaded Batman, even more so than he normally is, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, kind of controlling this network of sentry drones yeah. around Gotham is like we've we've seen like versions of this in the past, but we've never seen it work. Yeah, like, it, like this it's is like the first time, here. like now, like we're like it's weird to see like drones like the way we are like now. And yeah, like, back especially then. with his history with like Brother Eye. Yeah, and stuff like that. Exactly. Well, it, this definitely shows what happens when you have a Bruce that gets broken. And, of course, and physically, like that's the biggest thing is that Bruce could, if Bruce could be Batman, he would die in the costume. Mm-hmm. But now he's in a position where he doesn't get to have that. I mean, Batman. Or at least Bruce to Batman is just his subtle way of committing suicide. Like, in that it's, it's gonna be in the suit, and he's okay with that. Right. But now that fate that has he's been taken from has been taken from him, and yeah. he doesn't know how to respond. Yeah. And so the only way he can is how he thinks about it is to be behind a computer, right? Making sure that the city is safe. And if this is how it has to happen, it's, it's become, gonna be his way. It's yeah. become like he's become Oracle himself. Exactly. Absolutely. No, exactly. And we see that later on when he does like join the fight, he's in this armored mech suit that allows him to walk. It reminds so, me of reminds me of that suit that old Bruce Wayne from Batman Beyond yes. used to get into. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That when like Terry McGinnis was in like real deep shit. Mm-hmm. You know? But it hurts his heart every time he uses yeah. it. Yeah. See, and I think it's so interesting because we see after this, um, we see after Diana's come to him mm-hmm. trying to get Clark to join the fight again and I love how he doesn't want to be called Clark yeah he won't answer that he's like my name's Cal yep mm-hmm. and so he's trying to distance himself from everything that he had on earth but the big um, event that draws out uh, that draws Superman out of his seclusion is the bombing of Kansas so mm-hmm. and I think I'll this... I'll put I'll put this to you and see if you um if you can find a parallel here. So these young, brash group of heroes who um, have questionable uh, morals and motives are chasing down this singular villain in a populated area who is just trying to get away from them. And because of their actions and not letting up, a giant explosion happens, killing countless lives. 
Now, if that sounds like Marvel's Civil War from 2008, <laughs> you are incorrect, because that's what happens here in this book 12 years prior yep. to the events of Civil War. And I think that's really interesting, because basically Magog's gang, and I do call them a gang, they're not heroes, are chasing yeah. down the parasite in the middle of Kansas. And one of the members of this gang is Captain Adam. During the scuffle, Parasite, who was just trying to get away, he like he he's not fighting anybody. He's just trying to get away from Magog, who is intent on killing him. Uh, Parasite rips open Captain Adam, and Captain Adam explodes, mm-hmm. basically killing million. Excuse me, killing millions of people, um, irradiating America's breadbasket, like throwing the country into like a food crisis and uh, just like it's crazy how much this shifts the balance of um, good and evil oh yeah and that's already like teetering Mm -hmm. really really precariously but this is the event that brings Superman back yeah seeing all of this happen all this destruction again Alex Ross's art continues to be fantastic when you get to see Magog in that desolate oh wasteland God. that is Kansas. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's just there just roaming around and it's it's so it, it, it's sad. It's so sad but so beautiful at the same time of how right. his metal looks like it's actually shining mm-hmm. in the desert or and the contrast between all the colors but it still looks like it kind very of biblical. is very biblical. Very biblical but mm-hmm. the like the way the shine is and it, how the painting is it makes it like you can't quite see it, like metal actually is right. when it's too bright and has that sort of shimmer to it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just so gorgeous. It continues to blow on my mind every time I read it. Of just like you didn't ink this, you painted, painted this, it. and that's Alex Ross's mo. Like yeah. he paints on canvas and everything. But after this event, Superman first makes his appearance on a. I want to say it's like a Metropolis Bridge or something. It is. Where two rival gangs of antiheroes are just fighting each other with no regard for collateral damage. And my favorite part is the narration basically talking about, you know, everyone's crying out for justice or something. Our lead, which we haven't even talked about, Norman we McKay, Norman yeah. we're going to talk about him in just a second, um, says they need hope. And then there's all of a sudden there's this flash of red, whooshing by them, and you and red the and blue, red and blue, and the narration says, and they remember, and they and you see that classic look up in the well, sky. Well, here, do you want me to? Do you want Please me to go for it. And suddenly there was a wind, no, not a wind, a blur of motion, blending the steel of their weapons, and changing the very course of the mighty river below. Even before the bystanders freed themselves from the cable car, they knew. We all did. We knew and remembered. Look, up in the sky. And then the you turn the page and bam, it's just it's yeah, Superman. Superman. But wearing that black S that is so iconic when it comes to this story, like a lot yeah. of people when they think of Kingdom Come, they think of that S shield. Mm-hmm. Because it's so radically different from what we're used to. But yet so familiar. Right. Because it... And Alex Ross said when he was designing Superman, who he said is his second favorite design in the book, he took a lot of inspiration from the Fleischer yes. design, yeah, there. which has yeah. the black background. Mm-hmm. But this feels older. This feels almost... Um, 
almost uh, in judgment. He he's looking. Mm. I mean, the shot is him looking down on us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, and it's we are forced to look up right. to him. And which was always kind of an aspect of Superman's character. It's that classic look up in the sky. But now it's this like, oh, daddy's home. Yeah, it, it's, like, it is very. Oh my it, god. It is very. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> like it is very much that. And that's such. I it's such a parent thing. Superman yeah. That's sane. I can yeah. see Superman being well, that kind of like, a parent. Well, he's like, also I'm got the white there. Yeah. I'm just disappointed. And that's like, oh, so that just hurts your heart. You'd rather than be, be mad. mad. You'd rather than be mad, yeah, exactly. But it's like, and then after this, and I want to, because <laughs> reading this most recently, I want to talk about the next scene where the Justice League first kind of reappears. Mm-hmm. It's on Ellis Island, mm-hmm. where a just radically, like, American. American. Like he's he's called the America Mando, I think. <laughs> and he's and he's basically making this speech uh, about how um, yeah. immigrants aren't welcome in America anymore because yeah. it's getting too small. Yeah. And so he's like attacking and we see distinctly, if I remember, in a panel, we see a Muslim immigrant yep. in that in that whole crowd mm-hmm. of people that mm-hmm. the American Mando was trying to kill. And it's 1996. 96. Yeah, 96. But it's today. No, like that's the crazy thing is the entire speech does not feel dated. No, like none of the dialogue, none of the writing feels like it's from the 90s. And the it, story's over two decades old. And it's still the same problem. It's the same problems, and you see that um, again. All of these innocent bystanders, because like some other people show up and like red, white, and blue parachutes or whatever we don't know really what they are but they're like a rival american gang they say these words america love it or leave it yeah and it's like oh god it's today it's so topical and for character description on the american commando he's basically an almost armor with a american flat cape but all the armor is in detail of gold and white but it all looks very eagle. It all yeah, looks all very, 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 it's very American. Americana. Yeah. And it's it's something that you would not Giant be guns. surprised. Giant guns, of course. Giant guns. Again, Giant, again, Giant, again 90s. Um, Rob Lyfeld. And it's, it's something that you would not see out of the realm of possibility today. No. When it comes to the kind of um, sociopolitical climate that we're currently in. 100%. I want to point my favorite thing in this thing. Of course. Uh, uh, they're on top of the Statue of Liberty and everything, and it's like completely damaged from like whatever past like uh, yeah. battle that happened, yeah, there, and a, it's still being portrayed. There's a graffiti that says like, this Lobo yeah. was here. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what it says. He's that's just in the background. We yeah. never yeah. see Lobo. And, uh, yeah, we that's never the see only man. Like, that is so Lobo, funny. That'd be that'd be interesting to see. Ooh. Yeah, what's what's happened in the universe to Lobo? Oh God, get on it. I can only imagine. Get on it, Alex Ross, old man Lobo. Um, <laughs> written by Mark Wayne. So, but what I love is that when the Justice League shows up, like that first image of them coming in, it's yeah. also very biblical because mm-hmm. it's Jesus coming in with the seven angels. And again, we've talked about how this book spreads inspiration from well, the book of Revelations in the Bible. And when you look at like Superman and Wonder Woman and Power or Girl. Is it Power Girl or Power Woman? Power Girl. Power, Power Girl. Girl. Their, their arms are, are out and their Outstretched, feet are, are connected. Don't, yeah. yeah, looking like the Christ on the cross. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. Like, you see a lot of it here. 
And I think this is probably a good time, since we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about um, spirituality and religion, to talk about our sponsor today. No, I'm kidding. But, oh, God! God! I would like to sponsor our, our, our podcast. Now, we, we've, we've talked a lot today about a superhuman being who left us in our time of need, but came back to reshape the world. <laughs> in my mind and in my heart, there's only one true Superman. <laughs> His name is Jesus Christ, and today we're going <laughs> oh, to... you're going to introduce him, man. He's right here. He's our guest. He's our guest. Yes, sir, no, but, but with, with, with the... <laughs> How's it going, Jesus? No, it's going pretty great. Do not make Jesus Christ have the voice of Michael Jackson. Absolutely. Don't do that. There are too many questions. Um, but talking about religion it's and everything... Just being that also, it's just being <laughs> Um... That also kind of plays into our window into the story. Norman McKay, who is a pastor at a local church within Metropolis, he is visited by the, the ghost of Christmas spirit. <laughs> Done. <laughs> uh, he is not. He's actually visited by the ghost of the spirit of vengeance, which is the Spectre. So the Spectre, long time. Uh, DC Comics character originally uh, made his appearance uh, with the Justice Society and has, I think it can't be argued, the perfect character design that will never be changed. Oh, uh, (laughs) Eric is saying this specifically because before (laughs) we started the podcast, I made the distinct point of saying, man, Spectre needs a redesign. (laughs) They really really need to do something different with Spectre. He's called the Spectre. It's been the same thing since the... Exactly. The 50s, 40s? It's been so 30s. Are you saying we should change yeah. Superman's costume? Yeah. I mean, they have Wonder multiple Woman's costume, times. Wonder Batman's costume? Wonder Batman's costume? That was actually a point. Flash's costume? <laughs> Green Lantern's costume? It's going to go through everybody. Right? Aquaman's costume? All right, Aquaman has gone Aquaman, Aquaman has Martian not changed Man costumes. He's changed costume? ethnicities at this point. He has got a full Pulse 3 60. I think we can all agree that Martian Manhunter's original costume with the black briefs and the shirtless red straps is the perfect pinnacle of comic book character design. Absolutely. Absolutely. How more Martian can you get? Right. But, <laughs> but uh, so Norman McKay is visited by the Spectre who tells him that there is a crisis coming, basically, and says that he is going to need to help him pass judgment because the... Um, human that he is normally bonded to, Jim Corrigan, can no longer give that uh, human perspective to help guide the Spectre's judgment. And there's a great moment in in Kingdom Come where uh, Norman is getting a vision of the future, mm-hmm. and they have a conversation in that Spectre can, I believe he can see it. Yeah. But... Uh, I think Norman asked him the question of just like, well, what does it mean? Like, what, what more or do you see? And he says, I can't see the future. I can only see what's happening now or in the past. Right. It's thanks to you that I'm able to, or to that we're able to, see to, to know. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So it, it, it really is amazing how they tie in Norman right. and how he himself has this gift. And he's almost, you know, one of the, if not the most important character in the story. He is our window into the world. He is mm-hmm. our man on the street. He is from the street level, like, looking up at this world. You, you could even argue, like, this is very Christmas Carol-esque. I know that's right, yeah. but because, like, it, it is, yeah. like, him showing the events of what will happen and, mm-hmm. like, how he, how one human has to, like, 
make, make that choice. Yeah, make it, that choice. Yeah, the relationship between the two is very Christmas Carol-like. Well, um, and it's so funny because um, throughout the story, Norman is pretty much a uh, spectator through all yeah. this, except he's, for a very... He's like, he's like the Hobbit, basically. Yeah, ex- yeah. Spe- except for a very specific scene where the Flash sees him mm-hmm. and pulls him into the watchtower with everybody and everyone's like oh my god who is this guy and all he can do because Norman is so like freaked out by the stuff to come he's just like uh, revelations Armageddon like stuff's happening you have to stop and Superman's like uh, sir how did you get in here we don't know you but like it's so interesting to me with how they make him the important character they make him the one who we're seeing the story through it- it also kind of makes the question in on seeing is how Norman can see into the future, and he can see. But he gets times. very shadowy vision. It's, it, it, it he is, can't see directly what they are. I know, and absolutely. But he, but he still sees that they're apocalyptic events. Right. And it makes me kind of wonder if these are message messages from gods, or he is just a, a metahuman who has well, not blossomed his powers right. yet, and he's lived with just pressing them down, and now. Uh, during this time, that's when they're finally starting to emerge. Well, it's interesting because we meet Norman while he's giving last rites to a very old Wesley Dodds, mm-hmm. the Sandman from mm-hmm. the Justice Society, mm-hmm. who, yeah. in different continuities and stories, could see the future. He could, oh, right. he could get visions. Right. And it's almost like when Wesley Dodds dies, because he does die in that scene, yeah. and he's telling Norman, like, there's, all, there's this catastrophe coming, it's horrible stuff, and Norman's just like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Mm-hmm. Um, when he dies, it's almost like he passes that ability to Norman. Yeah. And it makes sense why the Spectre visits him, because he and the Sandman were on the Justice Society together. Right. So we go through this, uh, Norman is basically spectating through all this, mm-hmm. and what I think is really interesting is not the... Um, not specifically the roster of this new Justice League, Justice Society, whatever you want to do, but it's how they build that roster. Yeah. They start off with a Core 7, classic um, setup for a Justice League roster, mm-hmm. but they basically go around from country to country, and they they <clears throat> tell all of the metahumans there, like, you can join us, or we're going to put you in prison. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. they're That's basically drafting them yeah. into a paramilitary army mm-hmm. of superhumans. There's a scene where Superman shows up at this like super or this metahuman bar, and he basically oh, tells them right. like, oh, yeah. oh. "You're either with us or you're against us," and that's just how it is. And it's so funny to see like, it. It's great to if you have a familiarity with the DC universe mm-hmm. because the little cameos that yes. Alex Ross places throughout this entire four issue book is mm-hmm. amazing. Amazing. You see the daughter of Dick Grayson in Starfire in this. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. Yeah. You see the Joker uh, and Harley's daughter yes. as well. You see, uh, you see the daughter of uh, Big Barda and Mr. Miracle. You see an old creeper. Yes, you do. You see an old, uh, older version of Speedy, all grown up and now... And now the Red Arrow. Arrow. Yeah. Or is it the Creep? What is it? The Creep. It's the Creep. It's the Creeper. Creeper. Yeah, with the... Green hair, or, yeah, okay, the okay. boa, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the okay. yellow skin, and everything. And it, he's uh, he's sitting next to Human Bomb at the bar. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's just again, it? if you don't have a larger grasp on the DC universe, this is something that you can go into and kind of be like 
able to understand and enjoy the story, but if you have that deep set knowledge of all of these characters, it is just so fulfilling as a reader to see kind of where all these characters end up throughout the world. Hundred percent. And seeing Superman show up to this bar and basically say, "All right, kids, playtime's over. <laughs> fun, fun stops. Yeah, you can join me, or I'm gonna put you in prison." And he leaves. And then immediately after he leaves. Oliver Queen shows up. Oh, He's man. just like, all right, Big Blue Boy Scout gave you his pitch. Here's mine. Because at the yeah. same time, Batman, after Superman tries to come to him to recruit him, Batman says, no, of course. Um, Batman starts constructing his own team, comprised of him, Ollie, Dinah, the Black Canary, and the greatest non-superpowered hero in all of DC Comics, Ted Kord, the yes. Beetle. Um, and they start recruiting as well. They start recruiting, they start bringing in heroes who kind of aren't with this, you're with us or you're against us mentality that Superman and the rest of the leaguers are kind of peddling. And it's, uh, it's, it's Tim Drake that's Red Robin. No, it's Dick Grayson. Oh, it's Dick Grayson that's Red Robin. Yeah, Dick Grayson is, yes. Is it really? Dick Grayson. You see, um, there's a scene on the Watchtower Mm -hmm. where, um, all of the, where he's talking to a couple other heroes about like, hey man, like I joined up with Superman because I dug what he was saying, but he's getting a little ridiculous. And you see him in there with all of the Titans. So it's right, uh, right. it's Donna Troy, it's Speedy, um, uh, and that's how you know it's Wally West because he's in that panel here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm like trying to look through it. No, it's, and it's it's like near the end, um, but they're basically like everyone's not really sure what to make of this anymore mm-hmm. because Superman is just getting more and more. Um, almost uh, dictator-like. Very fascist. And in no bigger way is it than by constructing, and they literally call it this, a gulag. (laughs) That's right. They construct a gulag in the middle of the irradiated zone in Kansas. Well, no, they took the uh, radiation out of it first and then built. Right. There's, right. They, but they only remember like that because they distinctly though. said we took out the radiation That's right. and then put the person but on top. What I love about this gulag as well is that the structure is the Legion of Dooms. Yeah, that's what's amazing. Yeah, it it's so good. It's so great. It's just a blending of so much DC Comics history through all different kinds of media. Let's right. talk a little bit about that, the, the, the Doom the Legion of Doom, how like Lex Luthor, yes, yeah, making yeah, this like that. business boardroom version yeah. of which, the Legion of Doom, yeah, which is so. Also, I do want kind of want to say, if you shave Donald Trump, that's what he looks like. Yeah, no, it really kind of really does. Like it's really kind of kind of scary. Really kind of freaky. How this book is yeah, kind of on point and kind of predicting the future as well. Like, and you see that he's kind of constructed this cabal mm-hmm. of like king from the royal flush gang. It's it's uh, Savage. It's a liberation like, man group. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like mankind liberation. Selena Kyle, the Riddler. Which, I, and I love that no one wants the Riddler there. No one is there as a guest of Selena Kyle. Uh, isn't it Ra's al Ghul's son? Or yeah, like no, it's Bruce and Talia's son. Oh, so, shit. Yeah, so, so this, this was the very first uh, appearance of who we would come to know as Damien. 
That's so fascinating. fascinating. That is very so first, and this is wow. this came out. I because this was the first kind of appearance of a son of Bruce and Talia. Yeah. Uh, following this, there would be a book called uh, Son of the Demon, mm-hmm. uh, where we would get more stories about the possibility of uh, Bruce and Talia, you know, having a child. And then much later on, yeah. we're talking like 09, I think, was the official in-canon introduction of Damian Wayne. Yes, it was right before Battle for the Cowl, so it was... Yeah, it was during Batman and Son was the name of the right. story. I'm not, I'm not sure if Bruce had died No, not time. yet. Okay. Not yet, so he meets him Okay, yeah. Um, while they're trying to hunt down Talia. And he becomes Robin with Tim... With, with, with um, uh, Dick Grayson, yes, becoming, Dick Grayson Batman. becoming Batman. Still one of my favorite, if not my favorite Batman runs. Oh, absolutely one of the best. Batman, Damian Wayne's Robin, so good. It, it, Isn't the, uh, it's one of those funny things of how it works so well. Yeah. Isn't the immortal in this? Daniel Savage. Daniel Savage. Yeah, he's in there too. He like breaks yeah. somebody's, he breaks he, the secretary's neck for not for, putting sugar. For, he said two sugars. I said two sugars, yeah. you know, and it's like, and, like, and, and King, uh, what is it, King, King Flush is like, you ham. And, and he's like, sorry, yeah. immoral, like, yeah. And looking at, um, Damien, parentheses, Damien, I have no yeah. idea how to pronounce this character. Yeah, it's, it's like Sufjan Shagalot. Something like that. But looking at him, he, <laughs> That's he, his name now. he really does look like a, a young, young Bruce Wayne yeah. and a young, young Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Like, they, it's really looking, funny how they both kind of have a good mix of the two. Looking strange. If he Christian had, like, Bale that... Is very Christian Bale-like, actually. Yeah, that goatee. Nine years before. That racial goatee, you know. Looks just like a bikini clean shades. He looks just like Bruce. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting to me, like, just the supporting cast for each group, because there's essentially three groups. Mm-hmm. Four, if you want to count, like, the um, villains that were all imprisoned in the Gulag. But if you want to count them as the fourth one, so it's them, we have the Justice League, we have Batman's, we'll call them the Outsiders. <laughs> and then... Well done. Thank you. <laughs> and then we have, we'll call them the Boardroom Legion of Doom, also known as the Mankind Liberation Front, yes. I think is the official name of the book. Mankind Liberation And it's basically like, what? what's their goal, what's their deal, and we kind of get a key into what their deal is when uh, Lex Luthor's busboy comes in and you find out it's Billy Batson. Mm-hmm. But as you look at him, he's Captain Marvel. Yeah. yeah. And everyone's just like, how did Luthor get Captain Marvel on his payroll? You know what's really kind of funny? Like, I've noticed that a couple of times Billy Batson has turned evil well, in future stor- in stories that deal with the future. You look at this, it happens. Mm-hmm. You look at Flashpoint, it happens. And he wasn't evil. No, he wasn't evil, but he, he was still fighting Wonder Woman. And he, yeah, and it, was it was a, still a much darker version. It was of very, very much darker. You're not, yeah. and so, but then you look at more recently with, uh, like it, it's with the Batman who laughs, and then one of his Robins also, is, also was, returned. was Billy Batson turned turned into one of the psychopathic Robins. Yeah. And it's really kind of funny how you have this, you, I think you get this great metaphor with Billy in that you can have the hopeful young um, little kid, mm-hmm. but when he grows up, and you know, yeah. life starts it, to happen to it's him. It's that robbing him of his innocence. Exactly. He, and it, like twisting him yeah, into you get, a harsh world. Exactly. And you get a great transition of what happens right. when you take that innocence mm-hmm. and you 
you know, life happens to it and you twist it up and it becomes this dark, terrifying right. figure. And Billy really represents that kind of bridge between the former era, where, which are represented by, like, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman in this book, and the new era, yeah. which is all anti-heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we come to find out that Billy is not with Luthor of his own volition, and that Luthor is feeding worms that we can only assume are this little Mr. Minds yeah. into his ear to keep him under control. Which, again, brilliant. Brilliant! Right. And using pretty much, I would say, Captain Marvel's like main antagonist against him mm-hmm. in a way that we've never seen before. Oh, yeah. Um, and you see that when... Uh, Luthor and Bruce kind of decide to forge an alliance. Bruce realizes, oh, this is Billy. It's not Captain Marvel. We've all been scared of this guy. And he, like, socks him across the face yeah, like yeah. Bruce does. Yeah. And everyone's just like, <gasps> wait a second. <laughs> yeah, That's just Billy? Because we have to remember this is a future where everyone's old, but Billy was a child yeah. when everyone was in their prime, so he would be an adult mm-hmm. at this point and look just like Captain Marvel. Yes. So then they build this huge uh, this huge gulag. It goes about as well as you would expect it to go. <laughs> uh, there's a prison riot. They kill um, oh, I don't remember his name, but he's um, he's basically discount version Adam Strange and that's not Adam Strange it's not Adam Strange because they called him something else he looks a lot like Adam Strange looks just like what an old Adam Strange would look, would look like. like like I remember but seeing they called him something else I think I think you are right him. oh okay that's that's really that's, really, that's yeah. so funny because I remember yeah, the very first when he first appears in the scene with introducing in the whole prison introducing the ghoul just by the design I just went oh that's obviously I Adam Strange I thought the same thing it's oh, red here. and it's, white. Uh, Captain Comet. Captain, Captain Comet. They say it right here. And it's it's so... Because Alan Scott, you know, when that first team goes to check out this ride, there, Alan Scott is basically like, they've killed Captain Comet. And it's like, oh, I, I guess it's not that was strange. That's, so I was like, oh, weird. But so this prison ride happens. Uh, they're threatening to break out of the gulag. The entire Justice League shows up in force. At this point, Superman is starting to question their methods uh, because they've been very totalitarian with it and very, as he said earlier, fascist. Uh, but Wonder Woman's all for it. She's just like, all right, I guess we're going to war. I'm going to kill some people with you my know, magic sword. And that really kind of makes a point of, of something that I do love about this book and where we get to see all of the, the Holy Trinity of DC Comics when they're first introduced. Bruce and Clark have changed like Absolutely. dramatically. Wonder Woman hasn't. I would almost say it's the inverse. I would say that Wonder Woman changed. Well, here, well, here's that Superman and Batman haven't changed, and that's what makes them so diametrically opposed to each other in this book. But, but I'm absolutely in. Well, we have so a, describe what you're saying. Well, we have a visual representation in that we see Bruce in the. He's just he's like in a t-shirt or in sweatpants, but then the back brace while yeah. he's in the cave. Yeah, right. And you know he's clean shaven, but you can only discern that he's probably pissing shit in a pot. Yeah, he's been, <laughs> he's been through a lot, but like he's been forced to change into something while right. still trying to hold on to what he used to be. Clark abandoned what he used to be and just try to change into something new. Yeah. But when we're and so you see those visual differences in that 
Clark's got a beard, he's got long hair. Bruce is is completely gray and he's hobbled over and he's, you know, he's mm-hmm. in his computer hunched over. But when we see Diana, nothing has changed. She is Wonder Woman, still right. with dark hair, no gray, and still the same costume, almost like time has not touched her. Right. And the sadder, and she's you know, she's very much more. Or, but of course, out of the three, she was always the one who was more brash and ready for war and ready for, to fight. I mean, she of course still had her diplomacy, but she was a trained right. warrior since birth. And you still get, and you still see that she's abandoned <laughs> and uh, cast out from Themyscira. Right. And that's definitely where you see that trauma, and where she goes more into being Wonder Woman and still mm-hmm. holding on to the to the old ways. But it. I see like so much like almost kind of a forced growth and forced change between Clark and Bruce. Right. But it seems like Diana's just been fighting it for years. And she's just been ready to go oh into this. And she's mm-hmm. been looking around just like we need we need to do something. We need to do something. It needs to be like the old ways. It needs to be like the old ways. Mm-hmm. While Bruce is just like, upgrade or die. See, and I I can absolutely see what you what you're saying about yeah, that. that. I would argue, like I said, I would argue the opposite. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, Superman left because he was unable to change with the times. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of him not wanting to be part of this changing world is why he left. And when he comes back, he tries to treat it exactly how they used to. Batman, I... I think it's very hard to change Batman. It's always going to be Bruce Wayne is the most stubborn character in the in the DC universe, mm-hmm. and him continuing the fight even when he's physically not able to, I think makes him, again, unable to change. Diana, however, uh, this was, if we all remember, this book came out right in the heyday of Grant Morrison's JLA run. That's right. Where um, Diana was starting to get that darker edge. Mm-hmm. She was starting to, up until that point, she was very diplomatic. She was very... Um, she, I would argue that she was even more of a peacekeeper than Clark was yeah, um, in that DC Comics history. But here, we see that the, to kind of parallel what you were saying about how she physically hasn't changed, you see the times have changed her. Again, she, mm-hmm. go, she went back to Themyscira, and they said, you have not made the world better. Yep. You're not allowed here anymore. Mm-hmm. And you see that she's so readily, like, wanting to jump up and be like, let's kill these people. Yeah. Let's do this. And she even has that conversation with Clark before they go out to this battle in the gulag about the two of them, about him being unable to change. And that's mm-hmm. why she's lasted so long. When the two of them kind of shrunk back into the shadows, she's the one that's still been there. Yeah, and, and that's very true. And I, I can definitely see your point in that she's been the one who's actually been out into the world. Right. So still that, doing it. And still doing it. And so that little bit of influence from the outside environment has definitely affected her and that she's much more just like all the other metahumans around her who are so young or just right. like we need to fight to make this work. But, but I can also see what you're saying about um, both Batman and Superman having made harsh changes to kind of make sure that they can stay true to themselves in this new environment because it almost forces them yeah. to treat things differently. And I, I agree that Superman definitely, at least in the... I would say the first half of the story is very unlike the Superman that we know with these kind of, like we said earlier, fascist um, viewpoints and directives mm-hmm. of like, you join us or you get imprisoned. And it's a thing where, like, I think about, not to interrupt you, no, like, just a, a point that I've, I'm kind of thinking about, I don't think Superman smiles once in this whole, whole narrative. 
I mean, it, I, can't think, I can't think of a Probably single... Probably not until the, uh, not until until the, the end. end. Yeah, not but like... the very end. But like, not even like a Superman smile. Oh, do we get like something up to, to the crowd or something in that way that, you know, the... To the basic, crowd, absolutely. To the crowd or, or to, or to any of his... Yeah, and it's, and it's always kind of feels like... That disappointed dad. That disappointed dad, and it does not feel like Christopher Reeve anymore. Right. It doesn't feel like this... It, yeah, and I think about how... You, because you're absolutely right, and I think that all three characters do kind of hold on to a former sh- version of themselves mm-hmm. in their own different ways. But you are right in that that Wonder Woman was the one who had to see the most change. Well, but I also see what you're saying about her kind of showing that she hasn't changed in not just her physical appearance, but Mm -hmm. the way that she is kind of the commanding officer when Superman isn't sure what to do. Right. Like when they get word that the gulag has been broken or the gulag is about to be broken open, she's the one that's like, all right, you go here, you go here, you go here. Mm -hmm. And Superman's just like, I'm sorry. Are you <laughs> the leader here? And she looks at him like, "I've always been the leader here." Not in those words, but yeah. basically, like you are letting your emotions cloud your judgment, mm-hmm. and we need a strong leader who's going to make decisive decisions. It's true. Also, like in this book, she's the first one to kill, apparently, or she's always been killing, because uh, she uh, during the breakout here. In the gulag, uh, she. I'm just looking at this picture right now. Yeah. She she stabs one of the guys that's about to like throw this heavy metal thing on a, like a on one of like on a Zantana, the son of a yeah. Zantana, like mm. uh, of Zantana. that. And uh, she stabs her sword through this guy, and Batman like sees this and she he's like, Diana, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's like, you left me no choice. They began this, and I will finish it. And then one of the other characters, like sixty six. By the way, I, I my I think my favorite like new character in all of this was sixty six because it's just, yeah, he just has six six six, 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 and he has like the nipple rings and everything. <laughs> oh, that's right. And, like, weirdest weirdest look, like yeah. the most punk rocky, like Mad Maxi, like superhero war. Uh, and again, talking yeah. about uh, biblical allusions, six six six, Mark of these. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's all there. It's right there. He uh, he says like, did you see that? She killed him. She she killed von Bach. That's what it's von Bach. von Bach. Von Bach. And he says, get her. And 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 Bruce is like, what? Uh, what are you doing? We're we're here to save lives rather than take them. And she's just like, we're here to force peace. We've they, uh, we're left with no choice. If you stand in the way, I will remove you. Hardcore. She yeah. is hardcore, and this is what ten years before Infinite Crisis, mm-hmm. right? Where, where she it, kills Maxwell Lord. Yeah, and uh, and also where she says this famous line, where she's like, "Do you want to know why I don't have the rogues gallery that you do?" When she's talking to Batman, she's like, "Because when I deal with my enemies, I deal with them," mm-hmm. and like that's something that I don't think a lot of people think of when it comes to Wonder Woman. Right. Yeah. But like, she is. She was built and bred for war. She was. And she She's absolutely shows that off in this. There's but the big confrontation for this battle, while Superman is just like, I have to I have to do something, he starts flying down there. Uh, he gets intercepted by Captain Marvel mm-hmm. because um, uh, Bruce backstabs Lex Luthor before he could do the same to him. Uh, he chases Billy into, into the lab where he was being brainwashed and he runs into some container just filled with those Mr. Mind worms and before they can like get on him he just shouts Shazam yeah. and then he's gone 
And so the next time we see him, it's this iconic, iconic image of Superman flying towards the battlefield. He gets intercepted, and then he's just laying on the ground, and Captain Marvel's standing over him, fists on his hips, like, there it is. I'm here! Yeah, I come to save the day! Like, dun, that's dun, dun. classic, like, that's exactly the sound you would hear yes. with this, or like a big Hans Zimmer. <laughs> so while this huge metahuman war is going on, there's also a climactic battle between Superman and Captain Marvel. And again, any time that they've clashed it's, it, after this, whether it's in comics, in the cartoon, uh, in whatever, they have taken a lot of their visual mm-hmm. cues from this. Yeah, and it, it it's because it's beautiful. And well, it, this is this the first time they did it. I think so because uh, the, the Batman two. Superman Public Enemies thing where they had a clash wasn't until like early two thousands. Yeah. yeah. So this I think this is the very first like fight between them. And it's really kind of funny because it feels like a heavyweight fight. Absolutely. We were talking about yeah. earlier when Magog was like, I want a title bout. Yeah. Like, this really feels like, like okay, yeah. everybody's fighting over here, but the main event is it's right a, yeah. here. It this feels is... like a they live type of fight where it's just oh, kind sure. of like, yeah. like, it's just like, um, uh, like a huge battle of just like, just taking like forever. Yeah, it's for it's Schwarzenegger like, and Stallone. Yeah. yeah it's like, like just battling it out. Like, this fight. Is, would be very Zack Snyder. Absolutely. Like, this, yeah. You imagine this, him, the oh, destruction. Dude, can you imagine him just doing just a, full, a full two hours of Zachary Levi and Henry Cavill punching each other? Great. Like, I'll be honest. Like, I'd Visually, be it'd be on, if great. Zack Snyder was going to come out and say, I'm going to make Kingdom Come a movie, it'd be game. It'd be so game. I don't know. He could be he's, cinematographer. Absolutely. That's the, that's the thing is that I want him visually, it, but he, he would knock it out of the park. Absolutely, he would do so good. But I I think that this battle is so indicative of Superman's whole arc here, which has been him fighting nature, mm-hmm. him fighting the oncoming era. Yeah. Because this um, this book, which was originally Mark Wade wanted to title it "The End of the Heroic Age." Awful title. Yeah. Awful title. Too that's, wordy. That's, too that's, wordy. That's, that's a whole not word. Kingdom Come. But like, this really represents the end of an era. And this feels like what Magog always wanted. That mm-hmm. title bout, passing the torch. And Superman even says to Billy, like, I'm... I'm we're not gods. Like, but you, you are both god and human. You are the bridge for this. And so meanwhile, while all of this craziness is going on, Batman's group has entered the fray, so it's just a three-way dance. Um, Wonder Woman and Batman fight for... They do. They do have a little confrontation Uh, up in the air. The UN decides, hey guys, so uh, we got all these superhumans that have been causing us a lot of problems for years, all in one spot. That there are no no humans, civilians, or anything. (laughs) Let's just nuke them. <laughs> yeah. So they send out, and I love this, the Blackhawks. Yeah. That's they send yeah, out the Blackhawks, yeah, right. which I love. I will absolutely love. Yeah. With these three nukes, basically, like, they're just going to Nagasaki them. For all those wondering, the Blackhawks is a team in, yes. from a DC Comics from the 1940s during, during World War II. 
correct? Yeah. In which they were basically, it was almost like a team of Captain America, or what was it? The, they're, they're basically the Howling Commandos. Commandos. Yes, yes Howling they were Commandos. basically the Howling Commandos for the DC world. And do you remember, I think it was like two or three years ago, they were talking about Steven Spielberg doing... That's yes. still, yes. Like, that's still in like, yeah. it's still on the works. Oh God, I would love that. It would be so good. Because he really would love period. Because he's a fan of that, too. I mean, we we call, I mean, that movie uh, Midway's coming out, too, which Mm. is also about, which could easily just be a Black Hawks movie. Absolutely. So in my head, Canon Midway is a Black Hawks movie. (laughs) But, um, so they send these three nukes out, and the first people to notice are Wonder Woman and Batman, because they were fighting high in the sky above, and they're like, oh, no, we have to deal with this. So uh, Wonder Woman and Batman take out the first two, but then there's one that launches the nuke, and it's just dropped. They're not able to stop it, and I love this moment when, because, uh, well, let's be honest, Captain Marvel's kicking the crap out of Superman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just, like, he's just, calling, just, she's she's just calling the lightning down, and Superman's big weakness is... Kryptonite. <laughs> and also magic. Ah, I got you. I got you. No, but his, he is very weak <laughs> to magic. And that's why it's always been that classic if Superman, Batman, Super, Superman, not really Superman. Superman if, if Superman ever fought Captain Marvel or Shazam, he'd probably lose because yeah. that's what Shazam is all about. Mm-hmm. So Captain Marvel is like just showering him with lightning, and Superman finally like pulls him in the way, so he's back to being Billy. But before he can say anything, he just I love this. He grabs him on the mouth. He's like, "Hush," because he's because he's almost not like trying to stop him from turning back into Captain Marvel. He's trying to listen because he hears something, mm-hmm. and so he's the first person on the actual battlefield who sees the nuke dropping from the sky towards them, and it's like. Oh man, and that's exactly what Norman McKay says. He's yeah, just like, ah, uh, and well, Spectre's like, all right, Spectre's like, all right, buddy, the time is coming. He's just like, what? He grows giant. He's like, it's time to choose. Show me what you got. <laughs> and he tells Norman, he's like, so this is this is. And Norman's like, put the bomb, and it's like, yes, the bomb, the bomb. And he basically says, like, this is the time. I can only judge one side, and the sides are either the superhumans or the regular humans. If this bomb drops, all of the superhumans are dead. It solves that, but that's a horrendous taking of life. That's genocide. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's going to be genocide. It, whether it's that's here, something. immediate genocide with all the superhumans, or if, if the bomb is stopped, the superhumans will continue this battle across the Earth, and all the regular humans will be killed. So it's genocide in the short term or genocide in the long term. You have to choose. And it's like putting that not just on a regular person, but on a pastor, on a man of Christ, is so interesting to me. Who would, and the reason why I love this character, Norman, mm-hmm. so much is that he has a spiritual crisis in the very first issue. Absolutely. When we're introduced to him, he doesn't know what to do anymore as right. a priest. And he, is it a pastor or a priest? I think he's pastor. Pastor. Yeah. As a pastor, he I remember he goes all dogmatic and mm-hmm. starts doing doing a sermon like that and his entire sermon is terrifying. Yeah. And he stops and he goes, he's No, this terrifying. isn't this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm I'm sorry. I'm yeah. I'm so which is a perfect parallel for the entire the message entire of the book. book. For the entire Everyone book that it's having a crisis of faith. And and Norma is such a great character to have in right. that he is this old kind of feeble man mm-hmm. who is in charge ne- and is next to these gods right. among men. 
and he's standing next to a literal god in the spirit of vengeance being the specter. And that's actually another thing that I really wanted to talk about this book, is how th there's a moment in this book where we get to see all of the Justice League be the Mount Olympus gods that they are, right. and dictate and create and, you know, play and fight with each other, but then right. we actually see these tall, huge figures right. that are taller than us, that, that go higher up than Superman, mm -hmm. that are all this, like, I can't remember what they're called, it's, it's like, like Galactic Council, yeah, almost, something, or like, something that. like that, and you like see the, the wizards there, you the see wizard Spectre, Shazam, wizard Shazam, the Guardians, the Guardians Oa. of Oa, that's... That's the Green Lantern yeah, guy, right? Yeah. yeah, it's just it's just one of him, but yeah. he looks huge yeah, compared to him. Yeah, no, they're they are like actual resolve. They are the actual just sort of gods of this universe. Right. Keeping track and actually having a council with them. And they all, again, in this meeting, if I remember correctly, they're all basically like yeah, we don't know what to do. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, we have no idea. <laughs> and then, uh, like, we became each dead man. Mm -hmm. Now here, yeah, he has right. been wasted away to nothing but a skeleton. Yeah, it's like, He's yes, a tossing this... skeleton. It's like, uh, yeah. yeah. And everyone's basically just like, yeah, we don't know what to do. And mm -hmm. Norman's just like, are you kidding it's, me? It's the, uh, it's Shazam the Wizard, uh, the Guardian of Oa's, um, uh, I believe that's the Allfather from, from... No, it's Zeus. Oh, it's Zeus. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, I forgot, like, my favorite thing is, uh, Alex, uh, uh, uh what is it, Norman gets to meet, uh, Deadman. Yeah, yep. yeah. And it looks great. He's just a yeah. skeleton. He's just a skeleton. Yeah, I love it. So it's so funny. simple. But, like, again, this is the first moment where Norman is just like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? Mm -hmm. Like, this is, again, a crisis of faith. Like, even yeah. gods don't know how to yeah, handle the situation. And, that, and that's what kind of makes this sort of, like, a more feel like a tangible, real kind of story, in right. that it feels not so much that it's something there that happens. Answers. Oh, absolutely, but it doesn't. It's not so much that it feels like it's in our world, but it feels like this sort of natural progression right. of just a situation of actual timed events. Like we go back to the point that this still that this whole story still feels relevant. Yeah, and absolutely. from 1996, we've progressed even farther into it. Mm -hmm. I almost kind of feel like this story needs a sequel. For it to they see, made a sequel. did they make a sequel? It's called The Kingdom. Yeah. Oh, it's not great. <laughs> they never, but um, they do. They do have like kind of a spiritual successor in the uh, in the Justice Society book by Jeff Johns, oh. where basically we're, we're gonna talk about it. we're gonna talk we'll about we'll come back to it. It's, it's, it's there, different, different there's podcast some, there's a point. Well, no, but we're gonna come back to it in this podcast. Okay. There's a point that I want to make about that. Cool, cool. But anyway, so the bomb's getting dropped, right? Superman recognizes it, and at the same time that the Spectre is telling Norman to choose, Superman tells Billy to choose. He's like, you're the only one of us mm -hmm. who walks both as a god and a man. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to go stop that bomb, but I don't know if I have the right to. Because, and he admits, like, he's from an older time. He doesn't, he's not in touch with the world anymore. And so he says, you're the only one who can make this choice. I'm going to fly up there. You have to choose whether you basically give them the genocide choice. Like you can choose to he stop me. the genocide. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's like, you can stop me from stopping the bomb. That's gonna kill all of us. Or you can let me go. I can stop the bomb, but then this battle is gonna keep raging forever. And so he lets go, of Billy, and he flies away. And it's just the smallest um, speech bubble from Billy, and he's just looking at him, and he just says. Shazam. And you see the lightning bolt hit him. Superman notices it. 
and we see Captain Marvel flying after him. And there's this moment where you're just like, he's going to stop him from stopping the bomb. Mm-hmm. Like, he's made the choice to choose humanity because he, again, he walks both worlds. He grabs Superman's ankle and he throws him down and flies up past him. And so he catches the nuke and we hear, I think it says in the, um, in the narration, along with, again, all of these allusions to the Bible, to Revelations, we hear seven voices of thunder mm-hmm. where he says Shazam seven times. And he destroys the nuke high above the battlefield, but nuke explodes and everything dust settles and I love this scene because you just see Norman and the Spectre standing alone mm-hmm. and Spectre points away from Norman and he goes judgment and Norman looks over and the vision that he had when Superman first appeared Superman just screaming out into the void while the bodies and the skeletons of all of these dead heroes are littered around him. He's the only one at this point that we know of that survived. Mm-hmm. And he is just, it came to pass. Armageddon came to pass and it killed all of the superhumans. Superman rises up, eyes just what? red. This is scary Superman. It's scary yeah. Superman. He flies away towards the UN building. Um, Norman McKay is just like, where's he going? And Spectre's just like, well, you know, he's probably going to serve vengeance. My job's done here. <laughs> you have a great day there, Norman. And then it's like, are you kidding? We're going. Remember. Remember. Remember who you are. Like he, he's just... <laughs> so he's, he's basically just like, my job's done here. But hey, look at that. Some people survive. Some heroes survive. And we see that with the power of Dr. Fate and Green Lantern that... A, cer- a small amount, but an amount of superheroes did survive the blast. Mm-hmm. But Superman doesn't know this. He thinks he's the only one who survived. So Norman's like, you are taking us to the UN building right now. And they show up there, and Superman is bringing the entire roof down <laughs> on top of the delegation there. And again, Superman is characterized here with just casting shadow and you just see these red eyes. Like, he has lost everything. He's lost the will to live. He's lost the will to forgive the people who have passed him by. And he's going to pass judgment on them he, as an angry god. He's a man with nothing left to lose. Nothing left. And so he's pulling this down. And the only person who's able to talk him off this ledge is Norman. And he tells him, he's like, he calls him Clark, which is very notable here because... Mm-hmm. He won't be called Clark in this entire book. He goes by Cal. And that's a funny little exchange between him and Batman when he shows up to the cave. And Bruce keeps calling him Clark because he knows it bothers him. Yeah. And so Norman calls that's him. That's when he like first experienced yeah. like, what after all those years he finally experienced like that 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 like when you're like talking in mid sentence and you look back with Batman and he's always oh, he's gone. Just, yeah. yeah. And then like, Superman's oh. gone and it's just like, oh, that's what that feels like. Yeah. It's like, God, love it. Love it. But Norman is calling him Clark, and he's like, yep. this isn't you. This isn't what you represent. And he said, the greatest power that you ever had was your power of knowing right from wrong. You've never had to question it, no matter how many crises happened. You always knew what the right thing was to do. But when you separated yourself from the human race, you lost that ability. And he says, basically, like, 
make the choice. Get that power back. You know what the right thing is to do. And he is just pleading for him to remember, remember who you are. <laughs> like, to remember who he is and why he did the things that he did. Why he left was because he saw the world moving away from black and white of right and wrong and moving into an area of gray that he's now been assimilated into. And he's trying to tell him, you don't have to be this way. You can be a hero again. And it talks him down. He stops bringing the roof down. And it's right then. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if you want redemption, Clark, it lies in the very next decision you make. Make it as a man. And not and make it right. And so Clark decides that he is going to let this go. And it's just then that all the other heroes show up. Yeah. And they're like, hey, yeah. buddy. It's like, things that was got, weird, right? It sure got crazy <laughs> over there. Yeah. Yeah. Too. Well, I didn't see that. That bomb, that bomb was right <laughs> a spectacle, am I right? Good thing none of us died. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so after this, like, they realize that Shazam essentially, Captain Marvel saved them. Mm-hmm. And Superman, who, when uh, Captain Marvel threw him down, he took Billy's cape with him. Mm-hmm. He goes and he ties Captain Marvel's cape to one of the flagpoles outside the UN building, basically representing, like, we're all together again. Right. We're all on the same team. And so following this, we see the fallout of it. Uh, we see that humans and metahumans are trying to reintegrate themselves. All the older heroes essentially retire. We see at one point there's a UN meeting where Alan Scott is representing new Oa. <laughs> and I love that. And it's just you start to see them slowly picking the pieces back up of their shattered lives. I love oh, hey. Wait. The Minotaur left. Sorry. Yeah. There's a minotaur throughout this entire book that's just in the background, and I wasn't sure if he lived through the explosion or not, and I just now uh, see that he did. So I'm very happy. He's Andrew's favorite character. It is my favorite character because it makes no sense. <laughs> so um, I love the the shock collar Lex Luthor. <laughs> and I love because Superman turn or not Superman Batman turns Wayne Manor essentially into this hospital. Yeah. He turns it into what Arkham should have been, rebuilding people as well as treating them. And you see him reconnecting with where going to call him Shivaj Shagagaman uh, his Dang. son just call Damien just let's be real he's not called Damien I know but, but he really is his, name, his name is Xanax Al Ghul his name is Xanax Al his name is Ibuprofen Al Ghul Ibuprofen is Benadryl his name is Benadryl Cumbersnatch look <laughs> so we see we look see Adderall can name whatever himself is but he's still going to be Damien we can say Adderall can name we see him <laughs> reconnecting with him, but also we see that Lex Luthor has been put to work in this hospital. And my favorite like exchange... All the villains, yeah, like, like Selina and Riddler and, mm-hmm. yeah. But my favorite exchange is he walks by Luthor and he goes, Shazam. <laughs> and Luthor's just like, shut up. Because <laughs> it's just haunting him. But we see yeah. that Batman has taken on the role that was always meant for him as a healer, as what his father was, Mm -hmm. and what his father wanted for him. He's finally let that go. We see that Wonder Woman is accepted back into Themyscira, and we see that Superman has gone back to Kansas, and not the holographic Kansas, the real Kansas, where he is trying to rebuild. Now that the radiation's lifted, he's going to try and remake America's Redbacks. He's going to try and rebuild the farming in- infrastructure there, as well as making um, 
monuments, small monuments to all of the heroes that were lost, as well as all the mm-hmm. lives that were lost during the initial Captain Adam explosion. Again, a, and, a, a beautiful scene to see all those little just white posts on the ground mm-hmm. that Superman dug himself. That he dug himself. And he's the kind of person who will remember each and every one of their names. Mm-hmm. Um, and Diana shows up to him, and she's basically just, she gives him this gift, this small box, where she says, like, something to help you see more clearly. Mm-hmm. And he opens it up, and there are his Clark Kent glasses. And it's, again, him taking his place, just like Batman did becoming a healer, just like Wonder Woman did becoming an ambassador. Mm-hmm. He becomes a farmer. He becomes someone who brings life. And I, I, I was giggling before because I saw the giant plow. That yeah, the giant uses. plow. He's got to do all of Kansas. I, yeah, it's all that doesn't America. make sense. It's just a funny image. Well, yeah. did you notice Crypto? Right yeah. alongside the right. right. Did you not see it? Yeah. But yeah. he's, he's back to being a Kent. He's back to yeah. being Clark. It's also weird seeing Superman with a hairy chest, by the way. In a white beater. Why? Well, I, I don't know why. With oh, yeah, that's right. I for, I, I, that Darryl's doesn't count in my hairy dude. Work. He's but, a hairy dude. Yeah. Um, that's so funny. But so we see all of this kind of coming back together. The world is rebuilding. And then um, Norman basically tells uh, tells the Spectre, like, what are you going to do now? And the Spectre finally takes off his hood and reveals yeah. the face of Jim Gordon. And he's like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to. He basically says, like, I need to find a new purpose. And so we find out that new purpose is him showing back up in Norman's church as part of his congregation and listening to his sermons. Then, in the epilogue of the story, we flash one year this is ahead this is to a restaurant. But not just any restaurant in Metropolis. We flash to Planet Krypton, <laughs> which is basically like Hooters for superheroes. Well, Hard Rock Cafe for superheroes. Sure. Where all of the Because Hooters is a little more provocative. Yeah, but they all wear uniforms. Oh, uh, that's, that's This guy's shirtless, for Christ's sake. <laughs> and he's paid as movies. He's being as accurate to Martian Manhunter as possible. <laughs> that, that's not sanitary. That's not no, it's not. No, it's not. I, I think so. <laughs> what is he? No, wait. Is he like... He he's be, he's in the bag. Yeah, yeah, no, he's in the bag. Oh, I think he might be a bus board. Yeah, yeah. That's he's a dishwasher. <laughs> he's just getting green dishes. Like, yeah. it's like oh. dude, you gotta... These are supposed to be clean. Yeah, and they're like, what? That's Jim Gordon? Yeah, that's Jim Gordon. Gordon, yeah. Because he's, he's the red-headed guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's just he doesn't have the mustache, so it's throwing me off. Not Jim Gordon. Oh. Jim Corrigan. Oh, Corrigan. Corrigan. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, I thought you said Jim Gordon. No, I was like, oh, Jim Corrigan. Jim Gordon? No, no. no. Well, I guess, I guess <laughs> this time he did die, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> I, would, I thought that was a really cool thing. That would have been cool. Right? And if anyone could, could pick could. up that Spectre role, it would be Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon as a Spectre? That's actually... Right at DC. Yeah. Like, Make that we're giving this good. to you. <laughs> Kickstarter yeah, video, Jim Lee, Jeff Johns, we know you're listening, we know you listen to this podcast, hey guys, Big uh, Tom King, Scott Snyder as well, thanks for listening once again. Of course, they're uh, all explaining. You could take this, you could, stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so we flash to this restaurant called Planet Krypton, and I oh love my God. it, because it's exactly the restaurant that if it was in Los Angeles, I would be going to every single day of my life. I bet you would. All of the staff is dressed up as different superheroes. Uh, we are greeted by long-haired Superman, which is the pinnacle of this version of Superman. So, like, as a, <laughs> as a manager, do you have to, like, tell like, the one guy who looks like Superman, look, 
you're gonna get you have to get the dumbest haircut. You're gonna make a dollar fifty more, but, but you, have you have to grow your hair out. You're gonna bribe them with the like, it's a race to have. Oh, that's to, like, fair. It could, could be a wig. wig. It could be a wig. But they, they also, also have, look like it could be a wig. So Clark and Diana in their civilian guises, I guess, because Diana's dressed straight out of Athens. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, they with show the gauntlets on her. Yeah. And my favorite part is they talk to. Um, uh, Clark is just like, you don't think people are going to recognize us? And Diana's like, you invented the secret identity. <laughs> I think we're fine. And so they're waiting to have lunch with Bruce. And of course, like, they're like, where is he? And, um, You're the one with re- extra yeah, like, Did you look behind the giant penny? <laughs> yeah, I love that. And so, of course, in true Bruce fashion, he shows up behind Superman. He's just like, hey. <laughs> and Clark is like, how did you do that? How did, you snuck up on me. You snuck up on me. Me. How did you do that? And so they sit down, and my favorite part of this whole scene oh, is their God. server comes up, and it's Carrie Kelly Robin. No, 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 no. no it's uh, it's Aquaman. The, really? Yeah, it's Aquaman that comes up to serve him. May I bring you something to drink? Water's fine. I love that Clark says milk. Yes. And then coffee is with Bruce and, and keep it coming. Okay. And keep it coming. But, but a Carrie Kelly Robin comes up that table, maybe it's to give them menus. It probably is. Maybe before that. But she comes up to... No, 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 no. So yeah, she yeah. comes up to the table, she's just like, I'm Robin. And, Ro- and Bruce goes, sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite. Of course you are. Yeah, it's of course you are. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, so and, in, true, in true like superhero fashion, Diana's fine with water. Clark orders milk. And Bruce is just like coffee, black. Keep it, keep it. Yeah, and he's drinking it out of a Green Lantern. Out of a Green Lantern mug. Who I think we would all drink coffee out of if we had that. <laughs> I think honestly, I have. And they have like novelty cups. Like <laughs> Superman's <laughs> drinking his milk from a novelty Captain Marvel cup, and Diana's drinking her water from a novelty Flash cup. Uh, yeah. It's a great, great callback to those characters. But they're having this conversation. My. They also, like, when Carrie Kelly's taking their order, um, Bruce is just like, steak, well done. He's just like, wait, which one would you like? We have the man of beef, we have the steak, well done. (laughs) And as a server, as a server, I would be like, this guy's getting good fucking service for me, fuck this guy, we're cooking his steak, rare. I was about to say, first off, your steak choice is terrible. Yeah! Raw, or not raw, uh, well done. Well done. Like, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with well done? It's so that you, you don't it, get the, like, fucking pinkness into there. Yeah, don't you, you want to, like, right don't you want to, like, feel like what, uh, shoe leather really tastes That's like? Don't you, don't you love the taste of it? I've been working at a steakhouse for the last two years. <laughs> I was just going to say. Yeah, that's offensive to me. That's, that's, that's offensive. That's deeply don't, offensive. Don't you love, like, well done to the point of just, like, oh, oh man. Hockey puck. What is this rubber I'm eating? Well done, butterfly. Yeah. My jaw hurts just, just, just talking about it. <laughs> just, just saying well just, done steak nah. is just bad. No. Even just biting into uh, yeah, it. Yeah, I just feel like, 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 like how? And then, like... Uh, what are the orders that Diana and Clark Okay, have? so here's what they do. My favorite, like, Diana is like, I'll just have the giant turtle soup. <laughs> <laughs> and for you, sir, do you serve anything like beef borgorn? What is it? Beef? What is Bourgeon. it? Borgion. Borgion, yeah. There's a casserole. It's like the Starro the casserole. casserole. And he's yeah. like, fine. Like, sure. <laughs> but I'm... Starro casserole? Ugh. 
so good. That You'll feel be, like you're mind control. No, that really should be. <laughs> that's pretty good. I'm just thinking that should be sushi. Actually, I thought that would be See, calamari. That would make more sense. That, yeah. Calamari. Yeah. Ooh, calamari is perfect. Saramari. Saramari. Anyway, so we're. Can we make this? So, no. Can we work together and make this? We're restaurant? gonna make this restaurant. This yeah. DC. There's prime real estate we, in Los Angeles. Can we have a real estate in Tucson? Wait, for uh, God's sake! If we do that, well, it's in Phoenix. It's coming to Phoenix. There's an actual like no superhero way. bar like coming no to way. Phoenix. Yeah, it's it's a franchise from Mexico coming into Phoenix. Oh. It's the first time. It's the first one of its like. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I don't know when it's coming out, but but anyway, uh, I was gonna say like, would would wouldn't it be great if we just. Uh, Oh, I lost it. Never mind. Sniped that idea from them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so they're having this meal, and um, prior to Bruce sitting down, Clark is like, you didn't tell him, did you? And Diane is like, no, I wanted to be surprised. So they're trying to basically talk about, like, they're, they're all catching up. They're talking about, like, what's going on in their lives right now. And then um, once they get their food and they start to eat, Bruce, and it's exactly how I would do it as a server. He's just like... <laughs> That's not well done. And he's like, this is an overshade of medium. He goes, miss? The and then he's just like, I got this. And so he uses his heat vision to... To, 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 be, to So well done. And so they're eating everything, and um, Diana says, we have something to announce. And in the most Batman thing that's ever happened, <laughs> just ever, cutting. Batman's cutting into... Bruce is cutting into his state. He's just like, you're pregnant. And both of them are just shocked. <laughs> World just a look on their faces. Greatest detective, ladies and gentlemen. World's greatest detective. Every time. So, how, 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 how did, did you? And then go through what Bruce says. Uh, observation. For an ageless Amazon of perfect physique, you've put on a pound or two, and, <laughs> which and goes, I was like, which wow. goes first of all goes into what you were saying about her being unchanged yes. throughout this time, but also that was my big first move. Clue. Yeah, big yeah. move to say that. He says Bruce. this was that was my first clue, and then this. And then it pans to like her hair, mm-hmm. and it's like there were others, and it was like, oh, she's, she's getting, glowing. She, yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, she has that pregnant. Glow. Oh, she's glowing. Yeah, I, I always think, thought she had like white in her hair, and for some reason, pregnancy maybe, was just maybe, aging her. Well, you no, know, finally no, after no, all this time, because we've seen like mythology and stuff, like you, like certain figures would stay young until their fertility was yeah, there. yeah, and then they would begin to show signs of age. So yeah, that could be as well. Yeah, that's no, what no, I, I took it as glowing. I took it as pregnant glowing. Yeah. I, because she's, she's the only one sitting in like direct sunlight from the window. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's just what I took. But I did absolutely feel what you said. No, that, and that's what I thought too. I know. She's, she's, she's literally, but also being this sort of, you know, mythological creature, she right. literally is glowing. Yeah. And then so, and Bruce, says, Bruce says something, congratulations on bringing another spit curl demigod into the This is this is the kind of conversation I would expect to have with Jacob, like yeah. with, with him just being like, "Yeah, congratulations on bringing another spit curl demigod into the world." <laughs> like that's exactly how I would expect that conversation to go with you. And like so, like I'm so giddy to tell you something so. And like, you're just you're like, like no, you don't care you're whatsoever. Not, yeah, and so. Diana drops the real bombshell on him, which is that they want him to be the child's godfather. And even Clark. And he is genuinely surprised. Clark, too. Yeah, he's like, like, what? what? We didn't talk about this. Yeah. And that's, again, such a Wonder Woman thing to do. No, it's just <laughs> like, I'm on my own path. I thought it was more of like, just like, well, Mr. Know-it-all, if yeah, you're so fucking clever, true. Mr. Detective, 
Well, you're gonna be the Godfather. How about that? And Did you see that, that coming? Bruce's response is just like, "You guys know my track record with children, right?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like. I'm bringing in another superpowered Robin, Alfred Clear a room. My son, who I named Damien, decided to change his name to Xanax. So. <laughs> Xanax Al Ghul, Altair Ibn Lahad from the Assassin's Creed series. Um, but we see that like they're genuinely like after all this time, after everything that they've been through, is well, three friends coming mm-hmm. together again. One thing I want to point out, like. I love what Diana points out is like there are things that the Batman can teach our child that Clark and I can't. Yeah, right. That's true. And that's where the question is: of those two genes forming together, this all-powerful being, Christ. who else in the DC universe could put fear, but also actually like make that person kind of stop in his path besides like dis- Batman? Some, that's some true. discipline. That's true. Exactly. Yes. Like who besides if you know in case Superman and Wonder Woman. Parrot, right, and they have to give this child to who besides Batman is that child actually going to listen to? I'm gonna blow your mind, a child, Terry McGinnis. That is oh. no. <laughs> man. I know. Superpower Terry McGinnis, like to the 10th degree. Batman Beyond Love is still alive and well. You know, but, like they have um, what John Kent in John the most recent. Roy! And uh, he's. Even though, and so he's half human, half Kryptonian. Yes. But that idea of a half. Kryptonian half Amazonian. Like, that's a cool story. Well, yeah. I guess Frank Miller in uh, Batman 2000, whatever that stupid comic's called. Batman Returns 2000. Uh, Dark Knight. Strikes Dark Knight. Again. Yes, that's it. Dark Knight Strikes. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Like, he, like they, ha- they have a daughter in yeah. that story. And, I mean, and that story, I think, came out after this? I think so. I think so. Like, 2000. What? Dark Knight Strikes Again? Uh yeah, it came out yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, Returns came came out eighty six. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, but like the idea of them having a child and that Bruce is going to be kind of watching over that child and training it to be the best superhero they can be. You realize a great idea for a story. You realize you just handed me influence over the most powerful child in the world. I thought you agreed rather quickly. Yeah. Again, so then, like this story would gr- would do really well for like yeah. a Mark Wade Alice Ross sequel. So then they're getting up and they finish their meal and they're heading out, and we get one final glimpse at Jim Corrigan and uh, oh, yeah. Norman McKay sitting at the diner, two friends who have we can see their friendship extended past these events. And what's a specter platter? He's like, <laughs> look, at, look at it this way: it's flattering to be remembered somehow. Yeah, Bruce, <laughs> you still with us? Sorry, I was just. Because Bruce, Bruce recognizes, yeah. he knows Jim Corrigan because they were both cops, or Jim Corrigan was a cop in Gotham City before he came, became right. Spectre. But I, uh, Gordon, again, like, <laughs> like I'm just sitting here, just like Corrigan. But yeah, so they're they're heading out, and they basically it's them kind of walking off in the sunset and getting ready to welcome in the next age, the next heroic age. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! I just recognized something too. In this last panel, in these last two panels on the wall, is a tribute to the first comic ever in existence. It's called Fun Magazine. It is on the side as they're leaving the door. Uh 
um, on the... Oh my god, you're so right. Yeah. And it's right next to Wiscomics. Wiscomics, too. Yeah, exactly. So... That's Holy crap, so what cool. a great tri- I never noticed that before. I need to go back. I mean, we would absolutely, like, you would expect that in a place oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so. it's also across from the, the original Sandman gear. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like the made that appearance as yeah. the old man at the very beginning of the story. So yeah. it's full circle. Wow. So overall, this story is so good. It's an iconic comic book story. If you have been a comic book fan for any amount of time, you've probably, whether or not you've read read this comic or not, you've heard of it. It, it is without a doubt one of the best comics that DC has ever created right. or, or, or allowed to be public. Created First, by two of the best creators in comics, that being Mark Wade and Alex Ross. Alex Ross, just a timeless style. Mark Wade, the biggest Superman fan in the world. I don't care how big of a Superman fan you are, Mark Wade is a bigger Superman fan than you. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's you know, he followed this up years later with Superman Birthright, which was another book that I lent to Andrew and that I think is the best modern Superman origin story to me I I think Birthright is the best Superman story it's it's, 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 it's fantastic or at least it's the perfect character piece on who Clark and it's such an understanding of that character that Mark Wade has he's gone on to do seminal runs on Daredevil Mm -hmm. on Captain America like he's he more I want to I want to point out my my favorite Mark Wade thing that he's ever done like recently, uh, and I will say this and I will argue this. I'm gonna point it out. It's Archie. Archie, I knew you were gonna say Archie, and I can't argue. I can't argue how it is adorable. It is a fantastic throwback to the original Archie comics, but mm-hmm. making it in a modern day lens. Yes, way better than Riverdale. Yes, I have I have a I have a secret love. Of that show. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine you would. It, it's a guilty pleasure. Any excuse to have a bunch of comic watching. characters that that don't have super how, superpowers make them have superpowers. Why not? But, but uh, right. one, just one point that I want to make about Kingdom Come is that I will always say that it is it's the perfect example of what a masterpiece is. In that you, you have, I would absolutely call this as an artistic yeah. masterpiece. I, I, in it, that, it'd be hard to argue. it's it, it the visualization in and of itself, the amount of talent into the art and then the writing, is just so phenomenal. And it takes it to a point where you don't need to be even a fan of comic books in general to appreciate this book. Right. Just, just the detail in this is just incredible. Like finding that out with the the fun magazine. I didn't yeah. notice that. Mm-hmm. There's just little tip. You can reread this multiple times and find something mm-hmm. new. Well, and this is also something that is very indicative of the Elseworlds brand. Because mm-hmm. before there was Black Label, there was Elseworlds, which was all kinds of different multiverse stories. I believe this ends up being Earth 22, I think. It's in the 20s somewhere. But um, we do think of, when it comes to like Elseworlds stories like this, we think of Gotham High Gaslight, you have Superman Red Sun, and a lot of times we think of Kingdom Come. Yeah. These are stories that are, even though they're not in the mainland continuity, they're seminal stories. They're classic stories that take the characters that we know and bring them into a story that we haven't heard before. It, it definitely feels like this is a natural progression to the mainline continuity in that right. this is in whatever future it looks like in whatever time or place, this is how the DC universe kind of right. comes to an end. Well, or, and, to, and, to a, that, trans, or a transitional right. period. And that battle between um, the old ways versus like quote-unquote modern 
uh, sensibilities, mm -hmm. I think, is a real thing that we're still looking at today. Mm -hmm. Like, how, how do you guys, I'm going to throw this out there and let me know what you think of it. Like, how do you feel about this book not just representing what the comics industry looked like in 96, but how it looks today when we're looking at the idea of this kind of pushing away older, more like, Heroic stuff to bring in more shades of gray, more anti-hero love. You know, we've seen the most recently, the most recent years, uh, Deadpool has just mm -hmm. exploded in popularity. Harley Quinn in the same way. And these are anti-hero yeah. characters that kind of fly in the face of the original values that you would find from these characters. So what do you think about that? Well, I think... I think with Deadpool especially, Deadpool just became this internet meme that exploded out, out into the greater pop culture, into the greater world. Well, Harley Quinn, I think, was pushed into that and was tried to be... But of course, Harley, well, Harley Quinn is always kind of difficult to work with story-wise right. because she was originally created to be a sidekick. And she's, right. she's not a main She was supposed to be kind of the poster child for... Uh, domestic abuse and for the Stockholm yeah. syndrome, and it, and there's this tragic element to her that she's mm -hmm. always had for so long, and then DC and you know some writers just said, oh let's throw that away, right, and get really to the base of the character. Yeah. The problem is though is that the base of the character is that she's a victim, right, and so the best the next best thing you could do is do the aspect is though that, oh she's crazy like Deadpool mm -hmm. oh, and so she does all these goofy and crazy things it's not that it's a bad choice it works right. and it has been showing that it works really well I'm super excited for that Harley Quinn cartoon I'm interested in it I'm I, definitely interested it looks like it's going to be you know that adult version uh -huh. of um, superhero cartoons that we don't really get a whole lot right Right. and I, I was hesitant as well but then I saw who's in it and the cast that they've gotten the cast it's, looks great the cast looks so phenomenal Bader to play Batman again yeah Love perfect it. choice and the choice uh, Kay Kaylee Cuoco I think her name is Cuoco something something like that from yeah. Big Bang Theory from and, and from another Her, she's a great voice actress that no she, one's realized she's a very distinct voice she's well, she's also well one of her beginning roles was in a cartoon on Disney <laughs> Years and years ago. Really? Yeah, that was one of her first jobs. Okay. And no, and so she would do you know guest spots every now and again in different cool. cartoons. But she's an attractive woman, and she got Absolutely. into a sitcom like any smart person in the industry would do. Yeah. You know? But now she's coming back to her to one animation. Of, one, yeah, to, to animation, yeah. and just listening to her, like she sounds like she's knocked it out. Of the it's park. a very different take on the classic, like I think Harley Quinn voice. I, like I, I think she sounds a little bit close to like the original. What's what's her face? Harley Sorkin. Yeah, yeah. From, from the animated I, series, like very close to it. I, I could see her taking inspiration from it, but I think the voice that has become so synonymous with her from Tara Strong. Yeah, uh, she's Tara, very different from. Yeah, well, it sounds very different. Well, Tara Strong definitely took over like that spot, right. and and she just has done so much, and she loves the character. And she's and, great. Oh no, she does it fantastic. She's the the perfect replacement for that original actress. But Kaylee Kugo is doing something where she has, I agree with in Jacob in the sense that not in tone or in sound, but definitely in energy. It feels mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. old Harley Quinn again. Like, and all that like when it's it's that inflection right. uh, in her voice that she's able to replicate just as just, like almost as good, but just as good as as. Uh, as what Sorkin did as right. well, but, and but without the kind without of, copy key, uh, copy handicap you know. that mm -hmm. Arlene Sorkin had to be under with it being still a kids' cartoon, mm -hmm. being a very adult, mature cartoon. 
But you're absolutely right in that there is this shift in comics and that there is a sort of darker, more anti-hero tone it feels like they're trying to come out with. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look back even just a couple of years uh, into the Spider-Verse, one of the uh, iterations of Spider-Man that they made sure to have was uh, Spider-Assassin, a version where Spider-Man goes into the teachings of Wolverine and learns Mm -hmm. how to kill people and take them out. We see, I mean, Red Hood in DC has been through so much, so like, much. Care, like so, like so much weird directions that yeah. I really feel like they don't really know what to sometimes do with them. Sometimes conflicting directions. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes he's part of a team. Sometimes he's just doing so, his own thing. Yeah. Sometimes he's been so so anti-hero. We get villains. Sometimes mm-hmm. he's back into being that, not like not a Boy Scout, but still pretty. On, on good right but then we get other takes on characters like um, what, what's that what's that Batman that uh, the Batman who laughs Batman has who him. laughs well, oh the Grim Knight yes the Grim Knight we get takes Basically like the Grim Punisher. Knight yes exactly yeah. who's, just, who's just Punisher as yeah. Batman and we see all this sort of leading towards this kind of rougher more darker more serious take on characters and new characters mm-hmm. In that it does kind of wonder, like, do we hold on to the old values or to that old kind of, you know, Superman in the trunks and looking the way he sh- did in the 40s, kind of strongman style? And do we take those same values of, of an old world and try to see if we can still do it into the new world? Or do we go into a direction that's appeasing the population, which is that sort of... Wider audience. Yeah, that wider audience of just like, ah, oh, comics aren't badass enough for me, which is well, and I so think strange. That was, yeah. that was one of the directors behind the New 52. Yeah, And I think that's definitely. why they had so many problems, because mm-hmm. they were trying too hard to focus on making these characters modern and hip and not, like, remembering the core of these characters. Right. right. And what made them so appealing in the first place. And I think that also raises the question in that do we stick with these old characters and try to convert them into a new iteration of themselves that we've been doing for so long that mm-hmm. the original character kind of becomes a little bit murky right. and too hard to pin down? Or do we create brand new characters that are similar in a sort of meaning and a purpose of characters like the old ones but are brand new to us? Mm-hmm. And that it's a brand new story to get behind. It's a brand new person to be introduced to. It's a brand new who character to have feelings for right it's such a difficult situation I think as creatives to put themselves in like comic book writers especially like you listen to so many interviews and it sounds like they all want these these new ideas that they have and they want to come out with but they're shackled to this sort of fan expectation and then right well it's it's half fan expectation and it's half the company yeah Yeah. corporate directive because comic book fans in some instances and I've been um, I've been privy to this myself. Like we can be very fickle. Absolutely, we can you know shout on the mountaintops that we want things to change. We want yeah. new stories. We want new characters. But when those new stories and those new characters come out, we long for nostalgia. We mm-hmm. long for these um, the, old school values. It it's what came out of uh, Dark Knight's Metal with that whole uh, new heroic age that DC was trying to peddle. All these new characters coming from the dark multiverse. Mm-hmm. Almost all of those books are canceled now. I think. When new characters fail, especially, mm-hmm. they, I think it's really two things. It's a, a lack of direction, right, or a lack of given direction from the creatives, mm-hmm. either the artists or the writers. But then, Absolutely. but then on the fans' point, 
the ones who are receiving this new story, it's also on us in that we're it's just like, oh, it's not how it used to be, or it's not the characters I like. It's right. this sort of going back into comfort mm-hmm. and this kind of laziness that's in that of just like, oh, I already know what I like, so why can't I just have what I like, but it be the same but different? Which is a ridiculous <laughs> question to ask. Yeah. Of just yeah, like, I, I want this have, to be the same, but I want to be completely different from what I'm used to. And it's such a right. hard thing to do. I'm always leaning towards give me new characters in this world and if it makes sense, awesome. But just try. Try something different. Try what you what what they used to do in, in the um like back in the heyday when they were trying to come up with characters and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and where's that where's that rush of like of uh, imagination and inventability of uh, mm-hmm. the, coming up with new new characters and stuff and, like that. And people right. are I think it's because that they're just made You've you've touched on the all these subjects before, and like how do you blend these subjects now? And now we're just Definitely. getting to the point of just like, what if we try to blend two completely opposite ideas and try to put them together? And usually that doesn't work. No. But, uh, but once in a while it'll like some of the aspects of it will kind of work a little bit. Like you see the you see the remnants of like what they're trying to go for. Right. And but you but it doesn't execute well. Right. And I think like. People will argue, though, that to, to have people just create a bunch of characters mm-hmm. out of the get-go doesn't solve anything. And you can look at the 90s, especially like early Image comics. Like, Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, the unfortunate... Like, Image has an interesting story of how it was created. Right. But to be honest with you, like, those early comics are not that... Great. They're, like, they're not that great. Like, yeah. there are some that are... Like, all of, like, the, like, a lot of Spawn's really great. Mm-hmm. Right. And Spawn as a character is really cool. Yeah. His design is ugly. Like, it's all hell, but that's just me. But, like, you think about, like... Like, Shadowhawk and uh, yeah, Doc Savage. Yeah, like, a lot of them... Uh, dr- uh, sorry, not Wild, Doc Savage. Wild Dragon Storm, Savage. Like yeah, like, those... Grifter. Grifter, yeah. no yes. one, No one remembers those characters. Exactly. Yeah. Or, well, I mean, except for Spawn, of course, but no one really latched on to those characters. Right. And we all came back to... That, like you said, nostalgia. Mm-hmm. We all come back to that laziness of knowing and being in our comfort zone. Right. When I think that's so hard too nowadays when comics are not being as sold as they used to be. No. And no one's interested unless it's the characters they see on TV, TV. or the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this sort of already pre existing fan connection that they have. Right. So we again come to this problem in that, well, if people aren't going to be taking these new characters then we have to make this new idea with the old characters. Mm-hmm. And it then makes the question of just like, well, we have to give Batman a gun because Batman didn't have guns before. And it's a new story. And it's a new story and it's a new world and it's going to be more realistic. And, and like, that's not, it's not that it's not what this is about. Right. It's about staying true to what a character is supposed to be. Yeah. Right? Because I remember seeing Dawn of Justice and seeing like Batman with an actual sniper rifle made me physically uncomfortable in my seat. Like I was just like, kids are supposed to watch this. And like you like with a sniper rifle, like taking almost about, out, to, yeah, about to be like gunning sh- down boom people. A lot of people try to like excuse away that when they're saying like, well, you know, Frank Miller did it and they were taken from Frank Miller's Batman. But, but the argument that I have for that is if you actually read Dark Knight Returns in the scene with the mutants having the guns and everything yeah. he breaks it over his knee mm-hmm. and he says this is the weapon of cowards exactly. yeah. and it's it's this weird again like 
Frank Miller has been like up and down when it comes to this to his quality of books. Yeah. I still think Year One and Dark Knight Returns are two of the best Batman stories. And that's it. That's all he had. That's all he had. That's all he ever wrote with Batman. That's all he had with Batman. But like, yeah. But like, it gives a lot of people who aren't whether they're not familiar with or they're they only subscribe to that version of the character. Mm -hmm. It gives them ammo to be like, well, no other version makes sense. Well, why? Why would Batman take a Robin? Why would? Why wouldn't Batman kill people? You know, Zack Snyder's thing of like, if you don't think that Batman kills, you're living in a fucking dream world. Yeah. Like, which, uh, which is it's like, well, I think it's stupid. It also yeah. is difficult too because, well, especially Frank Miller in recent, like so many like people before, like you look at Zack Snyder and. Uh, Christopher Nolan, but like aspects of his work are in those pieces. Absolutely. And because what they were trying to do was darker and was more grounded, so they took the stories that are famous for being grounded and mm-hmm. darker and kind of the best. Right. When and then you look at all the other material, and it's not to say that the other material is bad, but a lot of it is the '60s Silver Age goofy stuff, mm-hmm. which is also super popular in people's heads. Right. But, well, I mean, specifically for Batman, especially because. There is a comedic side to Batman. Right. Like, that that came out, and that side needs to be addressed as well. And, again, it comes back to my point in that we find this sort of murkiness in that we don't know what this character is kind of supposed to be or how someone's going to feel towards them. Because some people, there's an audience for the Adam West stuff, and they right. like the lighthearted Batman. Or from the Batman, even the Bold cartoon, that could be somebody's Batman. Right. Or there's, you know, us 90s kids who have the animated series, which is great because it had that good kind of balance of everything. I think so. And I think that there's something to be said about taking those because that show got very dark at times oh yeah I mean the dream that he has after uh, Harvey becomes Two-Face mm-hmm. yeah. where it's like why couldn't you save me and then we see like his, his parents what? in the alley why couldn't like, you save us like that's yeah. <laughs> but like I think there's a way that you can balance that perfect example our the, the last episode that we did on the long Halloween you can absolutely see the darkness mm-hmm. in that book, but there's also a bit of camp to it. There's and a I, camp. And I don't think it is That's too difficult word. to read year one and then have Long Halloween be year two. Because oh, it blends seamlessly. Because you can have your dark, gritty, grounded, realistic stories, but if they were all dark, gritty, grounded, realistic stories, we would just... We would still be in the age of the detective noir. Because mm-hmm. that's what those are. Mm-hmm. But these are... Detective noir, soap opera, you know, space odysseys. Yeah. These are characters who are brightly clad, made for children. Yeah. Who are constantly having to change with the times, which I think mm-hmm. this book really represents. Yeah. Because if you look at the designs of these characters, you mentioned 666, uh, Magog, these are all very, like, you would look at those characters and be like, whoa, badass, bro. Dark leather cool but like you look at like Superman he's still wearing his trunks oh it's great oh yeah you know, it's, it's my know, favorite design Wonder Woman's still wearing her you know her sash and her golden uh, her golden armor like these are characters who really are timeless mm-hmm. Superman is a timeless character and I think when you take the influences of this book whether it's you know the themes about times changing um, finding a way to balance the old guard and the new, we, we're starting to head towards that um, 
that kind of point in modern superhero media. We're trying to find that balance when it comes to the uh, films, when it comes to video games, when mm-hmm. it comes to TV shows. And I think that the idea of finding a balance between uh, humor and grounded realism is something that should be the goal when you come up with any new superhero property. And I think that's something that a lot of people would be able to get on board with. Um, I think one of the best things that has come out of superhero media when it comes to adapting comics into a live-action thing is season one of The Flash. Yes. I still think that that first season is the best season the show has had, and it is dark at times. His mother is murdered in front of him. Yeah. And he spends this entire time trying to figure out how it happened. And at the end of the story, he has to let it happen. Mm-hmm. It's dark. It's yeah. sad. And I think that as we've kind of gone on with the CW shows, they've become a little bit more light, a little bit more fun. Um, twists and turns. I mean, twists and turns. Arrow. Yeah. I think right, I, the first couple seasons were when yeah. it was at its strongest, but it was still at that very dark, gritty, realistic point where the first season he killed people. Well, yeah. In the very first season, it was only what four or three years after Dark Knight. Right. Absolutely. And as we've seen that kind of world expand, as we've seen the introduction of more shows and more characters, Legends of Tomorrow is now this time travel, fun, crazy romp where we've now got Batwoman who's trying to do uh, dark and gritty but with a female lead. Mm -hmm. We've seen The Flash go through all different kinds of Time traveling, time and, traveling, and multiverse, and all darkness, yes. you know, all this fun stuff. And that brings us, I think, to this year's crossover. What about Black Crossover? Lightning? You forget about Black Lightning. So that brings us to the crossover this year of Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. which is another seminal story. It is iconic when it comes to DC Comics, it, and it is the basis for a lot of the crossovers that we see nowadays. Yeah, no, it is kind of one of those... It kind of started that. Is yeah. it the yeah. one that started it? Well, yeah. it's... Well, I, I mean, it's the one that destroyed no, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, like... Well, sorry. Like, crossovers were always a thing in comic books, but, like, right. to this level of magnitude, it's like, destroyed. universal... Well, yeah, destroying universes. Yeah. yeah, and, like, hundreds of almost thousands of characters being right. in panels with each other. Absolutely. Where it was not really done before. And they're trying to replicate that with this show, which I think is incredible and is a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest surprise, at least for me, and the reason that I wanted to cover this story on this podcast was that Brandon Routh, who played Superman in the Brian Singer 2006 Superman Returns, is taking up the cape once again as Kingdom Come Superman. Yeah. He's. We've seen photos that he's both released and that press is released. He looks good. He looks so great. He looks so good. He's wearing white trunks. Yeah. He's got you know the little white, the white hair symbols. The he's got the big Kingdom Come Superman symbol. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see what they do with him. I feel like he didn't. He kind of didn't really need the the white on the side of his hairs because he naturally has that now because he's actually at yeah, that age. Yeah, in, in in Legends of Tomorrow, you see him in Legends of Tomorrow and everything. Yeah, and like he spinning image of what Superman should be. Brandon Routh deserves so much better. So much better. And I'm glad that he's getting another crack at it. Because I think he's going to knock it out of the park. Absolutely. But I'm really interested, and I want to kind of put this out to you guys, what you might think of it. Um, what do you think? A 
is going to be his uh, purpose in the story, and B, where do you think in this Kingdom Come timeline that he's going to pop up? Because, and I ask that, I'll give you a second to think about it. You mean in because Crisis? It, no, no, no. Oh. Like, because in his oh, Kingdom oh, Come timeline, where do you think it comes from? Because oh, okay, okay. In, this, in the original Kingdom Come storyline, all these events happening basically retired. Right. But there was a spiritual successor that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. in the episode during the Jeff Johns uh, Justice Society run, where they pulled Kingdom Come Superman onto our Earth by accident because there were signs that this Kingdom Come future was going to come to pass. Um, Gog, which is the um, original kind of progenitor for Magog that comes later, was a villain for Justice Society at this point. So this Superman comes in and he's stranded on the Earth for a little while. So he joins the Justice Society for a while. And he, you can it's really like shaky on where in the timeline he is mm-hmm. like this could be them him gearing up to make his re-debut in the world during the events or this could be following the events of kingdom come right and i think that they are going to be kind of replicating that with this story because we've seen that he shows up at least the photos that he's released and he's on the wave rider He's with the Legends. Okay. So That's interesting. They might be pulling him for this. So what do you guys think is going to be kind of his purpose in this crossover? Uh, I haven't caught up with any of the CW shows mm-hmm. since I faded out from Arrow in season three or four. Fair. Or, or and Flash from season two or three. Or, yeah, I haven't seen any Legends of Tomorrow or Supergirl or anything like that. This could, obviously, this crossover is interesting and to me. It makes me just want to just jump into the episode itself. Right. Just because, I mean, Kevin Conroy is old man Batman. Yeah. And then, of course, Brandon Routh as Kingdom, Kingdom Come. Superman. Like, I'm going to go first because my prediction is probably I think he's going to be... They're not going to be able to sum up Kingdom Come relatively to give it to right. It is a fraction of what an actual synopsis is going to yeah. be because... Infinite Crisis or Crisis on Infinite Earths yeah. is such a huge story huge by itself that I think a lot of fat that needs to be trimmed yeah and work. so to make I think it probably he'll be somewhere in the middle of Kingdom Come Fair. is what I'm thinking because at the end like you mean like during the process during of Kingdom them building up the this new Justice League and putting people in the gulag yeah, some, yeah, somewhere around there, or at least maybe closer towards the end of the fight. I don't think right after the fight, because I mm-hmm. think that's a whole different character. He's yeah, learned so absolutely. much. Nor the very beginning one, because he's more reserved. Of, like, I don't know if I want to do this. Right. I think in the middle is where he's perfectly at that sort of fight mode right. of just, okay, I'm ready to throw down if need be, yeah. and I'm taking all of you with me if need right. be. So that's, that's my prediction as somebody who doesn't know anything that's going on currently in the CW universe. Gotcha. Jacob? Is, uh, is Brandon Ruth... Well, you know what? I, I would love it if like, he just appears and he still has the, the mullet, the ponytail, and everything like that. And, so uh, and so like, I'm right, right, for you. right before... You, like, no, I was thinking, I was thinking it was like, right before like the whole Ma Dog like, sentence you know, thing where he killed the Joker and everything. Oh. I was thinking that would be... Right before that happens, interesting. Oh. Like he shows up right. So before the, his tenure, before, so before Kingdom Come, before itself. Kingdom Come itself, because oh, that would be it would make because yeah. it would make more sense for him to deal with a crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, uh, like scenario, mm-hmm. because then when he goes back or whatever, he can able to like 
find a different way of like handling like Kingdom Come as right. well in some sort of different sense. Or Interesting. it would be like, because it, it has to be like right, he, for some reason, the lesson he learns from Kingdom Come has not happened yet. Has not been learned. Yes. Right. That's what that's and what I, I feel is, is what needs to happen is that like if whatever that particular Superman that Brandon Roth uh, like portrays, mm-hmm. it either has to be after Kingdom Come right. or it has to be before he's learned this lesson, and it would be more beneficial in terms of the storytelling for him to be before the the events of Kingdom Come. Do you think he's going to die? <sighs> um, in this crisis. I don't think so. I would put more money on Tom Welling's really? character dying. Okay. Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, yeah. For, well, for two reasons. A, that Superman has to go back to his universe. Right. Just, yeah. just it, for, for Kingdom Come. For Kingdom yeah. Come to yeah. happen, yeah. Like, whatever point he's at, yeah. even if it's at the end, and he still has to go back. Right. Tom Welling is is coming back to this character, but we've but, only seen him on the farm. Yes. And he came into production kind of late, so we don't know if he's going to have any other scenes beyond just this one scene on the farm. That's very fair. fair. But do you think they would reveal a costume to the people? I don't know. I don't think that he'll wear the costume, or they'll do what they did in the Smallville Mm -hmm. finale and just have like a little CGI of him just as a tag back to it. Um, I mean, that's what I, I would imagine is that Tom yeah, Welling um, Superman would yeah. just but also because there's no CW Arrowverse without Smallville and so it's almost right. kind of poetic for yeah. the final point of that Superman character mm-hmm. to sacrificing himself sacrificing yeah. himself to fade into a brand new universe well, for new people it's going to be really interesting because we do um, as uh, Jacob pointed out before we started recording we're going to have three super yeah. Yeah. during this crisis and I'm it's so excited it's Brandon Ruth Brandon Ruth Tom Welling and Tyler Hope uh, it's right. been the Supergirl super and my personal favorite live action Superman of the last few years it, yeah. Tyler Hoechlin's so good I don't know if four I guess isn't is there a third a fourth wasn't there a 90s show with oh you're Superman Dean Cain do you want Dean Cain to show up I thought I thought I read somewhere that Dean Cain was coming back oh, oh. I, don't want, I don't want Dean Cain doing you don't want Dean Cain to show up I don't no, I, no, no, no Dean Cain Dean, Dean Cain's Superman would be great Dean Cain is a person oh Superman Dean Cain's right I'm yeah, gonna say I, I heard that but he's also um he plays uh Supergirl's Super dad. dad. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's, that's right. right. So yeah, I don't know right. if they would do that, but again, I mean, Brandon Routh's been playing the Adam Ray Palmer for how long? For but yeah. we do know that Ray Palmer's leaving Legends oh, wow. in this season. So we're not yeah. sure. I know. But I am really interested to see how they utilize these three Supermen, um, especially because we do know that there is a Superman and Lois show in development right now. What? That's right. Yeah, with Tyler Hoechlin's Superman. <gasps> And uh, Betsy Tulloch's Lois Lane. Oh! And this is going to be after the events of, I'm assuming, Elseworlds, uh, where wait, this they had gone this to uh, Argo City oh, for Lois to give birth to John. Oh, that's uh, right. So th- that's why they weren't, um, but that's why they were kind of getting ready to leave during Elseworlds. And that's why they haven't shown up at all in this, in the most recent seasons of Supergirl. Oh my God, that's so this next show is supposedly going to be the two of them dealing with uh, raising John, and it's going to be hopefully taking a lot of hints from the Tomasi and Gleason rebirth 
Superman run, which I love. Well, I was, I was hoping you were going to say, like, so what you're saying is we're getting a reboot of the Lois of and Clark. Of Lois and Clark. <laughs> with, the, with the same cinematography, same the place. same fashion. So the fa- the same. really fast, like, little, like, uh, I mean, animation of, of, of Superman that, popping up. Okay. I'm all down all for in, this. All, all the way. No, I'm really excited about the show, and I'm wondering if... Howie Mandel as Mr. Mixes Pitlick. If seeing these two older Superman is going to give our... You know, obviously younger Superman the mm-hmm. impetus to go into this scene with a different perspective so I know that at some point all three of them are going to show up we've seen with set photos that <laughs> Tyler Hoechlin's Superman is going to be interacting with both it's Superman at different times it's going to be some sort of like Doctor Who like 50th anniversary special well, it's just I'm like, I <laughs> so I mean, for just an I mean, hour and a half of, of Tyler Hoechlin Brandon Routh and Tom, Tom Welling, Welling just, just doing the Spider-Man meme meeting <laughs> each other for an hour and a half that's all I want that's all I want it's a different kind of point. But no, I, I'm really excited to see all the Supermen show up, and I'm really excited to see what <laughs> they do with Brandon Rath's Kingdom Come Superman. It's because be- we do have, in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, Earth 1 and Earth 2 Superman yeah. yep. team up. Yeah. So this Kingdom Come Superman might be taking the place of that Earth 2 Superman. And, and that's what I'm kind of wondering is, is he sort of a placeholder for a different sort of Superman character? Right. Like, like the sort of Superman we, we've seen uh, in Infinite Crisis. Right. Because that, because that super, because we had the Superboy and then the older Superman. That was Superman Earth 2, yeah. Yes, holding on to Lois Lane. And so that's my question is, what if Brandon Roth's character is a little bit more or kind of like an amalgam of yeah, like, kind of of, of uh, income and Earth Two. Yeah, that's that what would I'm be cool. and it kind of makes sense as well. Right, and but I think that would also kind of play to this idea that he might sacrifice himself um, first. But we have to talk about the costume. We have to talk about Brandon Roth's Superman oh, costume. Oh yeah, it looks so good. It looks so good. It looks so good. He's got the trunks. He's he got looks, like a wide collar. Mm-hmm. He looks. Like, like a brick house in that thing now. Brandon Ralph has always been a brick house. No, no, like... Did you watch Scott Pilgrim? No, I was going to tell you, like, no, remember, like, in Superman Returns, where he's just like, oh, look, I'm, like, Christopher Reeve built, you know, and everything like that. Not too built, but just built enough to, like, look like... Yeah, just very muscular lane. This... It's like he's, he's trying he's to be. In charge. He's like trying to be like Henry Cavill. Yeah. He's got serious dad muscle. Yeah, Dude, and, and we've seen like he's. I don't know if you guys follow him on Instagram, but he's been ch- just churning out the gym selfies I, I, of I, him I, just like just pumping some iron, and it's like, like I got that guy's got getting Superman ready. Yeah, <laughs> and it shows his work in that suit. He yeah. looks fantastic. He's got the trunks yeah. that, and what I love was a lot of people um, kind of out, kind of outraged by this. Them being like, "Oh, he, he's, yeah, he looks so old fashioned. He's wearing trunks." I was like, "That's where you know." Yeah, that's where you know. Just like, oh, you didn't read the comic. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I just I love the huge the huge uh, black S. Yeah. It, it, looks it took up most great. of his chest. Most too. of his chest. It kind of almost does kind of feel like it's still the same brain wrap Superman from Superman Returns. That's, do you think? I I really, do you think? I really think it that, is. That this is, he is that same character and that from he that, is the way that he is because we lost giant forehead Lois Lane from Superman Returns. And John Ken. And John Ken. And John Ken. Like, do you think that that could be like what, like, Superman Returns became the Kingdom Come universe. I could totally I, see that, actually. I, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think it would work 
really well. And too. it would be that pure surefire redemption for Brandon Routh yeah. mm-hmm. with all the fuckery that went on with him I, playing that role. In I can see yeah. like a Christopher Reeve, Richard Donner uh, universe of uh, that Superman. Right. Just like, well, I mean, this kind of came Routh's out. Superman yeah. was supposed to be Reeve's Superman. No, yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, technically, yeah. there's a way if you want to finagle it that. Brandon Routh is playing Kingdom Come Superman as Christopher Reeves' Superman for all this time. There's yeah. an edited photo somewhere where they aged up uh, Christopher Reeves mm-hmm. in his Superman sort of getup and made him yes, look like an older I've seen Superman. That. It, it looks, looks fantastic. It looks so good. It looks it's, fantastic. And it's one of those things where you look at it and it's just like, oh, in some other dimension, this is happening. Yeah, Earth Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some other dimension, this is. We all got. He to never. Work. He never got. He yeah. Never on got Earth two, work. we got our live action Kingdom Come movie with Christopher Reeve and Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton reprising their roles. Lucy Lawless. Lucy Lawless playing Wonder Woman. Oh man, that would have been dope. Oh god, such a dope movie. <laughs> so so good. Or an uh, HBO yeah. series, yeah. just like a twelve-part oh, HBO yeah. series, maybe a six-part HBO. I was gonna say, did you but twelve? Just, really? You want to stretch that shit out? I would sit there for twelve hours. Oh god! But like, it's I'm yeah. really excited about this Kingdom Come once again, just a classic masterpiece of a comic story. I am going to throw something out here that I didn't prepare you guys for. How many Shazams would you give this book out of five? Jacob? Uh, I want to say seven for... Seven Shazams out of five. Because that's how many are in the book. Oh! Okay. All right. I'll give that one to you. Andrew, how many Shazams? I mean, it's hard It's, it's hard to beat that. <laughs> um, I would definitely... Yeah, I would definitely say five out of five. Five out of five. I would say five out of five in that I stand by what I originally said in that it is... A masterpiece in graphic novel work. Right. Like if, to anybody who thinks that you know the Cape Crusaders of the DC universe can't be taken seriously. Right. That's one of the best examples you can give anybody. I mean, right. and sure, there's going to be plenty of people who are going to say, "Oh, this is still not literature, and this is still not good." But look, this is as close as literature for comic, like serious literature as you can get mm-hmm. for comic books. Absolutely, and I, I would I would have to agree with you there. I think it's a five out of five Shazams for this book, also, or a seven out of five on Jacob's sliding scale. <laughs> well, I'm just going by the book standards. It's uh, it's uh, also this is like one of the best redemption stories mm-hmm. that I've actually kind of read. You know, like from, anybody from, who's ever lose faith in yeah. something and what yeah, this is a redemption story. This is a for great Clark. way for yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So. Final thoughts on the book, either one of you, um, anything we haven't discussed, anything you would like to say, kind of to put the dot on your personal experience or your personal views on the book itself? Just that, know that this is one of the prolific books, comic books, uh, that is that has influenced the, the media for like so much time, including like right up there with Watchmen and mm-hmm. like anything else with the Dark Knight Returns and this right. is this was a book that was just like on that level but didn't have to focus on one specific hero or character right. it actually incorporated incorporated the entire like DC universe in a future in, in, in like in a sense of like uh, of, of completion uh, of of I don't know I, uh, it's just a great way of just like having all these characters rather than just focusing on just one character and, and seamlessly tell a story of, of redemption and love and and how you can grow from that 
Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I got. Love it. Love it. Andrew? Uh, in a few words, pick it up. Yes. And, and really, truly do. Like Jacob said, and as we all said, it's a masterpiece. The art, the writing, the character choices, the story direction, mm-hmm. the use of color and creative oh, costumes. It's, it's all just this gorgeous perspective into something that usually... Like it's it's it, this book doesn't have a right to be as good as it is. It really <laughs> yeah, yeah. doesn't. In that you could there's so much in it that you're just like I you couldn't uh, you could easily get confused and Absolutely. lost mm-hmm. in this book. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you can take any one of those panels and you can like just extend it out and put it in a Roll museum posters, and you yeah. can, and people would consider it fine art. Mm-hmm. It's one of those attention to detail books and just everyone does such a good job that's the real thing is that no matter what you do it's always a fun experience to watch someone do a really good job or a master do their work Mm -hmm. and this is what that feels like is that you have a great writer with an equally talented artist both giving their best and both working with each other in amazing fashion right so again in few words just pick it up no matter where you are in your knowledge of the DC universe it'll seem intimidating mm-hmm. but just you'll, with you'll, anything you'll learn right away exactly right. take, take the bite go j- jump on the ride and just enjoy it it's one of those good books yeah I, I absolutely agree I couldn't agree more like this is something that if you are a fan of comic books if you're a fan of DC comics this is something you have to have in your library mm-hmm. this is a story that has influenced so many other stories that came after it this is a story that people look to a lot as this was a, this was a represent. This was representative of not just a past time, but also of the direction that the comic book industry is going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked before about the fact that we thought this book came out so much more recently than yeah. it actually did, because the book, the book has stood up the test of time. The book is timeless and. All the stuff that they were trying to figure out, 23 years, all the stuff that they were trying to say in 1996 are still applicable today. This is a book that has a commentary on pretty much everything that we still, as comic book fans, talk about. And whether it's the beautiful art, the gorgeous art, whether it's the storytelling, whether it's the biblical... um, Illusions. All of this comes together to be just a fantastic story and an iconic story in the realm of DC Comics. And I think that with everything coming together, all of these storytelling elements, that truly this is a book of revelations. And that lovely and iconic track brings us to this week's weekly review. Now, uh, this weekly review is going to be a little bit different. Of course, this is the segment of our podcast where I review something weekly. And this week, uh, no Arrow. We've been uh, reviewing each episode of uh, Season 8, the final season of Arrow. But uh, this week, Arrow's on a break, so I had to figure out something to... 
uh, review, and I decided I should check out the newest DC animated film that just came out, that being Wonder Woman Bloodlines. Uh, This is the newest installment of the DC animated movie universe that they've been setting up since... I think Justice League War, or if you want to be technical, maybe Flashpoint Paradox. Uh, but it's basically the new 52 round of um, of uh, films. So wanted to check it out. I've heard a lot of good things. Uh, Rosario Dawson is playing Wonder Woman, and she has been, I think, pretty consistently playing the character. And I really like her as an actress, and I really like her performance as Wonder Woman so far, so I'm looking forward to this. Um, I watched the film, and it's it's fine. It's fine. I hate to say that. I don't like being any kind of uh, negative on this, but I really think it's just okay. Um, and I'm going to get into why. I don't want to get too wordy about it, because I do want you to see this, but... For the, I would say the first 20 minutes of the film, it is a very familiar story. Uh, this, The opening of the film takes place, as it says, five years in the past, where it kind of sets it right before Justice League War, where uh, Steve Trevor gets attacked by parademons and ends up on Themyscira. So he meets Diana, Diana finds out there's a thre- larger threat to the world. It's a familiar story that we're all familiar with now, especially if you... Uh, watched the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman movie. This takes a lot, and I mean a lot, of um, direction from that film, which is fine. It's a great film. But I think at this point it's that Law of Diminishing Returns, uh, which sounds strange, seeing as how we've had three different reboots of Spider-Man. But it's, you know, I think it's the same principle. You know, you can only watch Uncle Ben get gunned down so many times before you start to not want to see it. And I think the way they go about it here, um, her basically getting exiled from Themyscira to go help Steve against the Parademons, and of course that leading into Justice League War was fine, but she leaves with this Amazonian armor, which is essentially the DC Rebirth slash Gal Gadot uh, Wonder Woman suit. And I, it weirds me out because in the... Uh, New 52 DC Animated Universe, she's been wearing this uh, new costume that is inspired by the New 52 costume. And I like both. I think they're they're very distinct from one another. But if you had this first costume, why would you ever go to that New 52 costume? Which admittedly is the lesser costume. So I don't know. Um, but I just thought it was kind of a weird choice to make that... Um, kind of retroactively like, oh no, she had this first. Um, I think it would have made more sense for her to go into this new costume when she returns to Themyscira. But anyway, um, I do have to praise the uh, the art style and the action here. The art style is kind of a weird like uh, split off from the uh, Phil Barassa New 52 style that they've been doing for these previous films. Uh, it takes a lot of hints from the uh, death and return of and death and reign of the Superman uh, films, but it also kind of goes on its own offbeaten path and really establishes itself. And I think it works. I think the designs are familiar if you've been watching these animated films, but different enough that they look distinct. And I think that definitely plays into the action as well because the action here is stunning. Very, very good stuff. I'm a big fan of 
you know, Wonder Woman just kicking ass, and she does plenty of that. There's also gore. Uh, there's a lot of blood. Um, there's a moment in the film where Diana, like, sprays venom into her eyes, and it's, like, brutal stuff. So you see, like, beheadings, you see blood, you see limbs. Um, it's really interesting, and I like that they kind of went uh, God of War-esque with her. And you can kind of tell that they were going that direction with the film itself because it took a lot of hints from the uh, Greg Rucka New 52 Wonder Woman run, which I actually really liked. And if you haven't checked it out, it's a really good one. But I, uh, I was impressed. I was really impressed by all the action pieces. I was impressed by the art style. And then the voice acting as well was, I thought, really, really good. Uh, they had... I don't... I don't know his name, but he was on Burn Notice playing Steve Trevor, and I think he came into the character with enough uh, sarcasm and likability that it made you want to root for him. Uh, Eddie Candy is a star here. Uh, super, super good. Really, really enjoyed her. Uh, Rosario Dawson does a great job with some really stilted uh, dialogue. Uh, so the writing isn't phenomenal, but uh, I think she does a really good job with what she's given. And once again, you know, Rosario Dawson is great, great pick for Wonder Woman in these films. And I think she does really well. Where it falls apart for me is uh, the villains, specifically the storytelling and the voice acting of the villains. Um, the main kind of villains in this are, I think it's um, Dr. Poison, um, another doctor, uh, Cheetah, and then... Um, Vanessa, who turns into um, Black Swan? It's not Black Swan. It's Silver Swan. So um, those are kind of your main villains. And then later on, we get introduced to another, which is Medusa. Um, the writing for them is really bad. Like, really bad. And um, I'm just... I didn't really enjoy it all that much. Uh, the voice actors did what they could with the writing, but it's not great. Um, and then the story is kind of lacking for me. Like I said, the first 20 minutes are kind of like just a rehash of a story we already know to kind of set the stage. Um, and then certain aspects, like the whole impetus for one of the characters, Vanessa, to turn evil is that her mom is killed and she blames Wonder Woman. But watching the events leading into it, her mom was kind of mean and you don't really feel anything when her mom is killed and it makes it even worse when you don't really understand why Vanessa was so um, distraught by her mother's death when for most of the film up to that point, uh, she didn't really have a good connection with her mom. So I don't know. I didn't really enjoy that aspect of it. Um, and this kind of, I think, bleeds into the larger uh, problem with these DC animated movie universe films or the Decamu films is just that the uh, art style is mo more often than not really, really well done. The character designs are great. Uh, the voice acting is usually really, really good. But these stories are just not not great. Uh, whether they're original stories or adaptations have not been, not been very good. And I have been having trouble with them. The only ones I think that are real exceptions to this rule are the, uh, the Death of Superman and the Reign of Superman films. And then um, maybe one or two of the Titans films. But overall, I just, I didn't really, I haven't been enjoying this. And I'm hoping that with the push for Rebirth, with 
all of the new directions they're starting to move into like elseworld stuff with um with uh red sun and stuff going off like that like we're gonna see just a more varied take and less of this established cinematic universe that really isn't doing it for me more often than not um so that is the weekly review on wonder woman bloodlines what's next in the animated films i think i'm pretty sure it's red sun i think red sun is the next one that's coming out that's coming out early uh 2020 so definitely look forward to that we will be covering it for sure it's one of the most famous superman stories of all time and i'm really looking forward to reviewing it next week however we are going to be jumping back into uh, season eight of arrow as we continue the march to crisis so stay tuned for that but for now let's hop on over to this week's comics countdown Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title, the creative team behind each book, as well as a brief synopsis. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you'd like me to try out, feel free to request that on our uh, social media, either Instagram or Twitter at Pod, or through email, because I'm an old man, I still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. But before we talk about the books this week... Let's take a look back at last week with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And um, a lot of books came out last week, but uh, one rose above the rest for me, and that was Batman Universe, number five of six, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Nick Darrington. Uh, this book's been really solid, like every single issue that's been coming out. And uh, I think I've made my stance on uh, Bendis's DC run so far pretty clear, but uh, he's been really knocking it out of the park writing Batman and having all of these team-up stories in each issue. So I've been really enjoying it. And uh, this book features a team-up with Nightwing. Uh, this book is, of course, out of continuity with everything else. So uh, the two of them teaming up, Always a good time, really enjoyed it, and then uh, left on a pretty big cliffhanger, so I'm looking forward to the final issue of this book. I'm sad to see this go, but it's been a great ride so far. But that was last week. Let's talk about this week. This week, we have one, two, three, four, six books for you here, three Marvel, three DC, so let's dive right into it, starting off with X-Men number two, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Laniel Francis Yu. Um... This book, uh, I'm interested. I'm interested because the first book wasn't as uh, bombastic as I was expecting it to be, I guess. Um, this really does seem to be a Summers family book, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, spoilers for last week's X-Force number one, which I did uh, thumb through, I guess... Professor X is dead, even though they can revive him. I don't know exactly what's going on with that um, and how, like, some Black Ops team somehow got to Krakoa, even though Krakoa is supposed to be, like, the safe haven for mutants. I'm not sure exactly what's going on with that book, but it's supposed to be all of the X-Men books matter to each other. I, myself, have only been picking up the mainline X-Men book as well as Marauders, so um, I'm interested to see how all of the other books that have come out so far affect the story in this issue. So let's jump into the synopsis here. When an island full of unspeakable horrors appears on the horizon, the X-Men have their work cut out for themselves, keeping Krakoa safe. 
So pretty, uh, pretty bare bones when it comes to the synopsis there. Um, it does kind of sound like we might be getting like a dinosaur island situation where Krakoa is uh, dealing with another island that's coming out. So interested to see what they do there. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1015, written by uh, Peter J. Tomasi with art by Doug Monkey. Uh, this is continuing the Batman and Mr. Freeze storyline last issue. Mr. Freeze finally unfroze Nora and kind of gave her a suit of her own to be Mrs. Freeze. So I'm interested to see what they do with that here. Um, let's jump into the synopsis. For centuries, children have been told to be careful about what they wish for. And after years of yearning for his beloved to return, Mr. Freeze finally gets it. But frozen hearts don't melt easily, and after years in cryostasis, Nora Freeze is the ultimate ice queen. Gotham and Victor Freeze will never be the same again. So... The synopsis kind of teasing uh, some dissension in the ranks between Nora and Victor. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this is something new that we've never really seen done before when it comes to uh, Mr. Freeze and Batman's Greater Rogues Gallery. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do here. Next up, we have History of the Marvel Universe, number five of six, another penultimate issue, written by Mark Wade with art by Javier Rodriguez. This book, once again, I say it every single time it pops up in this segment. Um, if you ever wanted to learn about the greater Marvel history, the Marvel continuity, definitely pick these issues up. Again, I can understand if you want to wait until it's all collected into one volume so that it can be like your, uh, your Marvel Bible, your Marvel Encyclopedia, but... The issues themselves have been really, really strong, and I've been enjoying seeing the history kind of pieced out into uh, eras and sagas, so uh, this book, really, really good so far. Let's jump into the synopsis. What don't you know about the secret invasion? What's the true origin of Captain Marvel, and how does it play into a looming intergalactic conflict? Mysteries Answered, Secrets Revealed. So this book, when they were kind of, uh, when they announced it, when they are talking about it, they did uh, say that there would be some secrets that uh, readers don't really know that would be kind of brought to light in this series. So it looks like this is going to be one of those books. I'm assuming the last two issues are going to be like mind-blowing, like revelations and stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. Next up, we have Event Leviathan, number six of six, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Alex Maleev. Once again, um, Alex Maleev's art really is um, keeping me going on this book. Uh, it feels like the last issue or two have been kind of convoluted. I was really disappointed last issue when they said that they were going to unveil the man behind the mask of leviathan and they didn't uh this issue is supposed to do that but we'll see so let's jump into the synopsis here from the eisner award-winning team of superstar writer brian michael bendis and groundbreaking artist alex maleev the shocking conclusion to the biggest dc mystery of the year who is leviathan what do they want how have they dismantled the most powerful secret agencies in the world? And what's their next deadly move? The greatest detectives of the DC Universe descend on Leviathan and all answers
answers are revealed. Don't miss the shocking conclusion of this story. So, once again, uh, promising answers. We'll see if it uh, ties itself up neatly in this bow. I'm not sure if they can wrap it up this quickly. They've really like left it all to this last issue, so I'm not sure exactly what their goal is with this. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Next up, we have Invaders, number 11, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Carlos Magno and Butch Geese. Geese. I mispronounced your name, and I apologize. But this book has been so freaking good. It's just, it's too good. It looks like we're kind of uh, ramping up to finish this story. Um, I'm kind of sad because it all signs kind of point to this being just a 12-issue series, much like uh, Superior Spider-Man, um, West Coast Avengers, that kind of thing. So I'm sad to see this go if that's the case, but I have enjoyed the ride so far and I'm really, really looking forward to uh, finishing out this issue as well as the final issue. So let's jump into the synopsis here. With the world about to undergo its biggest disaster ever, Captain America and Namor are nowhere to be found. But on a tiny island in the ocean, two men are having a long overdue conversation. Dead in the water continues here. So yeah, last issue kind of stranded both uh, Steve and Namor on a deserted island. Both of them have been reverted back to human. Uh, for Steve, that's totally fine. He's still got the Super Soldier Serum in him. But Namor now doesn't have any of his powers. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with this. And yeah, there's a long overdue conversation that they've been waiting to have Um with the two of them finally face-to-face, -face, so I'm looking forward to it. But the big book of the week for me, the big book I've been really looking forward to, is Far Sector, number 1 of 12, written by N.K. Jemison, with art by Jamal Campbell. Um... I'm super excited about this book. I'm really, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Uh, this is the story of Joe Moline, or Mullane, uh, one of the unknown Green Lanterns that we haven't really been introduced to yet. Um, as the uh, cover here, as I'm looking at the solicit states, it's by the author of the fifth season and the artist of Naomi. Naomi's been kind of the um, big breakout star from the wonder comics line but this book is part of dc's young animal line that's the one that's being uh, headed up by gerard way formerly of my chemical romance and who's been writing um both the doom patrol comic as well as its sequel weight of the worlds um i've been really looking forward to this ever since they announced it and now with the implications that uh joe the main character of this might end up being the green lantern for 5g depending on what the hell 5g ends up being um i'm I'm really, really hoping this is what I think it is, and I'm hoping that it's like a noir-style um, procedural in space. So let's jump into the synopsis, and we'll see exactly what it's about. N.K. Jemison, the acclaimed, award-winning author of The Broken Earth and the Inheritance Science Fiction trilogies, makes her comic book debut with best-selling Naomi artist Jamal Campbell, as they thrust you into a stunning sci-fi murder mystery on the other side of the universe. For the past six months, newly chosen Green Lantern sojourner Joe Mullane has been predicting the city enduring, a massive metropolis of 20 billion people. The city has maintained peace for over 500 years by stripping its citizens of their ability to feel. 
As a result, violent crime is virtually unheard of and murder is non-existent. But that's all about to change in this new mini-series, or new maxi-series, that gives a DC young animal spin to the legacy of the Green Lanterns. So yeah, 12-issue maxi-series, really looking forward to it. Uh, DC has always done really well with their 12-issue maxi-series, especially in the last few years, and... Um, once again, that kind of team putting a critically acclaimed author with an artist who has kind of exploded in recent years, is uh, it's a recipe for really good quality and really good stories. So I'm looking forward to this. That's my big book of the week. You definitely need to pick that up. And to recap, we have X-Men number two, Detective Comics number 1015, History of the Marvel Universe number five of six, Event Leviathan number six of six, Invaders number 11, and Far Sector number one of 12. If there are any books that I somehow missed, feel free to let me know. Um, I always love discovering new books. It's really uh, one of my favorite things to be able to not just uh, recommend books for others to read, but to be given the opportunity to read books through recommendations from others. So um, stay tuned for next week. Really, really looking forward to uh, talking about one of these books. Um, Invaders, I think, is a good front runner, but Far Sector, I've been waiting for a while. And... Um, it's going to be some stiff competition for the pick of the week from last week, uh, next week. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, feel free to let me know whatever uh, you feel about the stuff we talked about today. We took a long time uh, talking about Kingdom Come. I hope you enjoyed the discussion we had with Jacob and Andrew. Uh, they're longtime friends of mine, and I've been waiting to get the three of us into a room to discuss comics. And uh, this was... The first of, I'm sure, many. We did uh, the first official Geeksplain Spotlight with Andrew back in, I believe it was August for Long Halloween. So always get a good time talking to him. And Jacob has such a vast knowledge of uh, comics that it's always a good time talking to those guys. So stay tuned next week. Uh, this episode, uh, I, as I'm sure, as I'm recording it, might go up a little later because I'll have been uh, traveling a lot this week so uh this might come out later probably on thursday just so that i can have time to get everything in but um definitely looking forward to the rest of this month as we continue our march to uh the crisis on the infinite earths i believe that starts in december so i'm looking forward to that um and we're heading into the holiday season so expect a lot of um kind of retrospectives because we're also nearing the end of this decade it's a crazy thing uh 2020 is upon us it's just it's less than two months away so there's going to be a lot of recaps a lot of lists so definitely look forward to that this holiday season and uh definitely look forward to something pretty fun including the continuation of our uh weekly review back on season eight of arrow which comes back next week so stay tuned for all of that next week same geek time same geek channel and for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>